Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. BFT. From the Pack West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the Bald Face Truth. Welcome in. It's the Bald Face Truth. Peter Sampson in for John Canzano this week, rolling with you on your Wednesday. He will return next week. Of course, he's just sneaking in some vacation when he can get it ahead of Pac-12 football. It's a big day. We've got a lot to talk about. Of course, I've got Sean McPherson, Stephen Vaughn with me. We'll run you through what's going on in the world of sports. Probably get off track a little bit, too, as I am often want to do. So much going on in Major League Baseball, NFL, college football coming up. I've got thoughts on some of the news, some of the headlines going on right now. Of course, the big story of the day, the NBA schedule is out It was released just a couple hours ago. The Trailblazers pushed their schedule out. We now know uh, who they're going to play, when they're going to play, and, of course, we can all have our snap reaction and overreaction. Yeah, and I I know what's most important to you. Yes, they are playing Maccabi Ranana in preseason. Don't worry. That's going to happen. No, looking at this Blazers schedule, of course, you can check it out, 750thegame.com. We have all the games there. We teased yesterday they are going to open the season at Sacramento October 19th. And all three of us here in this studio right now over the last couple days, anytime the topic of the Blazers schedule has come up, what are we looking for? What do we want? What are we anticipating? The early season schedule I think we've keyed on is especially important for this team that's not only bringing back some players that you know, haven't played regular season games in a while. Of course, you know, Nasir Little, Yusuf Nurkic, Anthony Simons, Damian Lillard, all these guys were shut down. But they're bringing in some new pieces. Gary Payton the second, Jeremy Grant, of course, integrating Shaden Sharp. And Chauncey Billups never really got his opportunity last year with his main core guys to play the style of basketball he wanted, really integrate this group, and frankly try to win some games. So right off the bat, it's going to be critical for this team to sort of get into a groove. Of course, preseason not as long as it used to be. That always bleeds over into the regular season. And in the last couple weeks, I've been thinking, man, if the Blazers can just have not a there's no softball schedules in the west and everyone essentially plays each other for the most part the same amount of times you have a couple teams that you play three times instead of four man if they could just get off to a good start things are going to be all right and looking at the betting odds 39 and a half 40 and a half wins uh is where what you'll find at various sports books i like the blazers to be over on that but i was really keying in on this first say 15 games of the schedules the first sixth of the season what's this going to look like and boy oh boy if you're a trailblazers fan it might be a tough watch right out of the gate so preseason i love preseason basketball i'm not going to spend time on that because i know a lot of people don't really care about it uh they're uh quote-unquote, at the L.A. Clippers to open up the preseason October 3rd. What's cool about that, that's actually going to be played in Seattle at Climate Pledge Arena, giving Seattle basketball fans a little taste of NBA NBA hoops since they had the Sonics 
straight up ripped from them, you know, what, 15 years ago now, practically. So that's good. Get them excited, whet their appetite for the inevitable expansion to Seattle and Vegas coming in uh, the coming years. Uh, October 4th, they host Utah. October 6th, they host uh, one of the Israeli teams, Maccabi Ranana. Then they're at Sacramento and at Golden State. That October 11th at Golden State, that might be a fun game to watch. Of course, it's on the road. But uh, that final preseason game is maybe when you get all the main players, your starters, actually playing a good 25 to 28 minutes. Regular season begins, and I got bad news. It's not easy. At Sacramento, look, I'm down on Sacramento. We know this because I'm smart. That being said... The Sacramento Kings are motivated to reach the playoffs this year, or at least the play-in. They're all in. They've even made a couple long-term decisions that weren't the best decisions to be all in for this year. They have a decent little squad. So you open up at Sacramento, where we all know the Blazers inexplicably lose once per year, even if the Kings are terrible and they're going to win 24 games. The Blazers will lose a game to the Kings in Sacramento. After that, you have your season home opener Friday the 21st and you're hosting Phoenix October 23rd you are at the Lakers the second of a back-to-back you are hosting the Denver Nuggets Jamal Murray's back Michael Porter Jr.'s back they have the back-to-back MVP the Nuggets are going to be a monster this year second of a back-to-back fortunately not in Denver Wednesday October 26th you host The Miami Heat. You get a little reprieve Friday as part of this four-game homestand hosting the Houston Rockets. Look, Houston is going to be better. They have some nice pieces. That's not a playoff team. That's a a must-win, a should-win. Wednesday, November 2nd, the first true national game of the year. That Denver game is on NBA TV. On ESPN, Wednesday, November 2nd, you're hosting the Memphis Grizzlies. Without Jaron Jackson, Still a great team. They were second in the West last year. John Morant continues his ascendance. It's a great, well-built team. You're taking them on on national TV. After that, Phoenix. Yeah, second time you're facing Phoenix there in a two-week span. And you're not facing them once, but twice. Back-to-back road games at the Phoenix Suns to start a brutal six-game road trip. Back-to-back at Phoenix. After that, you have a day of rest, and then you cross the country, and you are at the Miami Heat November 7th. You're at the Charlotte Hornets November 9th. Charlotte, I don't expect them to be anything really substantial in the East this year, but look, they're still dangerous. They still have LaMelo Ball. They have Terry Rozier. They have some pieces. My guy, P.J. Washington, out there in Charlotte as well. Then November 10th, you are at the New Orleans Pelicans on the second of a back-to-back. C.J. McCollum and company. Zion Williamson is back. They're going to be hosting the Portland Trailblazers, tired, in the midst of a six-game road trip. The fifth game of a six-game road trip, second of a back-to-back. You wrap up that road trip, and you wrap up a brutal stretch to open the season November 12th. At the Dallas Mavericks. So, fellas, look, I understand everybody's got to play everyone. This is not what I was hoping for when I was looking at the first, say, 12-game stretch of the Portland Trailblazers schedule. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this. Last season, I always say, 
it was kind of a fake season, so I don't know what to expect out of Chauncey Billups as a coach. I have a lot of uh, a lot of positivities, a lot of positives out of him, and I think he's a really good hire. But it remains to be seen if he's a good coach or not. So I think it's really important for the Blazers to get off to a good start because I don't expect him to be gelling from day one. But with this schedule, like you said, Peter, it's a tough schedule, and even the road games, like you said, at Sacramento to start the season, I know the Blazers should be better than the Kings. But I'm not expecting the Blazers to be gelling on game one. Right. I, and the Kings are going for it. The Kings have missed the playoffs for so many years in a row. They are all in to make that play-in tournament. So the Kings are going to be be hungry and try to get that win and start their season off right. So I think it's a real tough schedule. I mean, look at the first 15 games. I, I honestly think the Blazers might be 5-10 and 10 after 15 games because just with the new players they have coming in, the role players they got, I'm not sure if Chauncey yet is a good coach. I think it could be a rough start for Portland. And that just, you know, it could go downhill from there, but I, it's going to be tough. In my opinion, it's going to be a really tough start to the season for the Portland Trailblazers. Yeah, when you look at this, I mean, and we'll even call the, the Kings game just for sort of counting out hypothetical wins and losses here. You can say, okay, you beat Sacramento, which, again, going into Sacramento and facing, you know, they have uh, DeMontis Sabonis. They have Darren Fox. And, you know, we can say, well, they shouldn't have traded Halliburton for Sabonis, but they did. They have him. He's a great player. And new coach Mike Brown yeah. from the Warriors. Keegan Murray. Uh, Harrison Barnes, they're going for it. They're, that's a team that's going to win some games. I Again, I think they're a play-in team. I never bet on the Sacramento Kings. They're going to be motivated day one. Okay, then Phoenix. Phoenix is a great team, and especially when you're getting them fresh. You wonder how much longer Chris Paul's got. Well, he's coming off a of summer, and he's going to have fresh legs. You're at the Lakers. You know they're motivated. They don't have a great roster around LeBron and AD, but at least in game three of the season – AD, you assume, isn't going to be in street clothes yet. That's not going to happen until December. That's going to be tough. I'm sure that they're going to try to manage Westbrook's shot selection, at least him just chucking up three-pointers. They're going to try to use him more intelligently. Those are going to be tough games. Uh, Denver, Miami, those are great teams. You can say a win in Houston. Uh, Memphis is going to be tough. Two more against Phoenix, another at Miami. Charlotte, I think, is winnable at New Orleans, at Dallas. So by my count, that's three and nine. Is that the first 12 games? Three and eight. Was that 11? Yeah. I mean, and just like I know that a lot of people are a little down on the Suns because of Chris Paul's age, but they're still the third favorite in the West. Right. They're a really good team. You look at the Lakers. Yeah, we can say their roster isn't great, but they're the fourth favorite in the West. And I know it's, you know, it's not necessarily what it is, but that's what happens in Vegas. But Fourth in the West is still tough. Memphis, sixth. Denver, fifth. Like, you're playing a lot of playoff teams early in the season. I think halfway through the season, you know, a month into the season, the Blazers are probably going to be a little more, you know, on the same page together with the new coach and with Jeremy Grant trying to be put into the offense and Gary Payton the second. Where does he fit in? So I just think it's going to be tough to play a lot of these playoff teams early in the season. And Portland's going to have to have a couple big upsets to kind of stay afloat in that playoff race and not get too far behind. beginning of the schedule because at the end of the day I mean there's only this league is really really deep right now there's a lot of good teams in this league and the Blazers um, there's a lot of teams that are you know on paper better than the Blazers right now and to start with eight of your first 13 on the road uh, is definitely going to be a tough challenge but let me give you guys this counterpoint I think Portland considering last year's season considering Damian Lillard was out all of last year and really all of the other star players on this team you know, Anthony Simons had extended time off last year. Yusuf Nurkic had extended time off last year. This is going to be a rested basketball team. And you think about some of these opponents who you guys are talking about are going to be really big challenges in October and November. 
Well, a lot of these opponents are coming off deep playoff runs. Some of these opponents are older. You know, you look at teams like the Lakers. You look at teams like the Heat. Like, these are older teams. And we know that October, November basketball isn't necessarily, you know, March, April, May basketball. So if I can counter and kind of zag here, I, I think Portland's going to come out guns a-blazing while some of these other teams, the teams that Portland's going to be playing, are older squads and uh, maybe not won't have that same fire. So I think there's an opportunity there for the Blazers. Yeah, I don't, outside of Chris Paul, Phoenix isn't old to me. You know, I know some of their vet, their uh, you know role players are, but when you're talking Aiton and Booker, there's youth. LeBron, look, the Lakers are very old, but I mean LeBron James. I mean he's 38 years old. He averaged more than 30 points a game last year. You know he's going to be ready. AD is the big question mark to me. But again, it's early enough in the season that you're not. I don't think you're going to duck AD. The next time they play the Lakers. Uh, I'm just picking a random one here. November 30th on NBA TV. AD might not play because he's always in street clothes this early. It just makes me worry a little bit. And I guess it poses a good challenge. If the Blazers are at 500 through this stretch, I'm feeling good about this team. Yeah, I would feel great if they're going through this stretch and they are around 500. I really think that it's going to be a tough start for Portland. Um but like Sean said, you know, it may go the other way too because Portland's going to be motivated as well. You know, it was a really bad season for the Blazers. Uh, before the missed playoffs, they had the longest active playoff streak in the NBA. So you know they're going to want to get back. The fans are going to be hyped at the Moda Center. It could go either way. I just am a little down on the Blazers this year with their roster construction. Uh, you know, I'd have to see it from Chauncey to see if he's a good coach. I have a lot of uh, a lot of faith in that Chauncey is a good coach, but it hasn't been shown yet. And so that's my one fear about it. But it's a definitely a... It, I would say it's a not ideal schedule. We talked about how we wanted the Blazers to have an easier front end of the schedule, and that's not what happened. Yeah, and there are three separate six-game roadies in this schedule, and that can be tough. Of course, the, they have the November one that I mentioned there uh, at Phoenix twice, at Miami, at Charlotte, at New Orleans, at Dallas. You have another one in December uh, coming off of uh, hosting Minnesota, uh in two straight games. It's not a true back-to-back, but uh, December 10th and 12th, actually hosting Denver, then Minnesota twice. You you do the Texas Triangle. You're at San Antonio, at Dallas, at Houston. Then you're at Oklahoma City for two, and then you close it at Denver. So that one, while it look, no six-game trip is easy. You're not doing a lot of cross-country zigzagging there, and you do have the Spurs Houston and Oklahoma City twice. Four of those six are not necessarily brutal opponents. Of course, finishing up at Denver, but it helps that you're not jumping time zones a lot there. That's always so challenging. If you sometimes you'll see it, well, they'll start, say, at Golden State, and then they have a day off and they fly to the East Coast and then they work their way back and you have different start times. You can just pencil those some of those in as schedule losses. Really, really uh, uh, potentially challenging stuff there. So they have that six-game road trip there in December. And then they have, uh, it looks like in March, they have another one there. Maybe that uh, is the end of February. They're at Golden State, February 28th. Little break uh, hosting New Orleans. Then they're at Atlanta, at Orlando, at Detroit, at Boston, at Philly, 
at New Orleans as well. So, of course, Orlando, Detroit, maybe not gangbusters. Orlando has some young talent. There's a chance that they can find their footing throughout the season. I certainly don't expect them to be in the mix for anything meaningful, but they're one of those teams where maybe they start putting it together in February, all their young pieces, and they start playing 500 basketball. Detroit, kind of similarly there. They're still in the middle of a rebuild. At Boston, at Philly, at New Orleans is a tough, tough way to close out that road trip. So, Things do level out in various other parts. You look at the the end of the schedule. Look, the beginning is important. The end is important. And, I mean, every game counts, right? It's one of 82, but there are these certain runs. So you want to get off to a hot start. We looked at the beginning. What does the last dozen or so games look like? And we'll go to mid-March here. You host Boston March 17th. You host the Clippers the 19th. Then you're at Utah just for a singular road team. Road team, uh, road game, excuse me. Utah's not going to be great. You host Chicago. You host OKC. Those are probably gettable. Uh, New Orleans at home. Two against Sacramento at home. Then you're at Minnesota, at Memphis, at San Antonio, and at the Clippers. That takes you to the last game of the season where you're hosting Golden State April 9th. I expect, unless something just wild is going on, the Warriors are probably going to rest their starters that game. Who knows? Maybe the Blazers will as well. So it, there is a little bit of a reprieve at the end. I'm not going to say it's easy because, look, you're still you're you're facing the Clippers twice. You're you're facing Minnesota. You're you're facing Memphis. Both of those on the road. You're facing New Orleans, Chicago. While Chicago's not great, it's still a very good team with some good players. They're probably playing for something. And, and you've got Boston there at home, and Boston isn't to the point where they're going to be maybe resting players yet. So there's none that has really stood out to me, just an absolutely easy stretch of the schedule, except maybe part of that December uh, uh, six-game trip there. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right on. October, November seem to be pretty tough. So at the end of November, you're heading to December. The schedule cools down just a little bit for Portland. So I think you're right where if Portland can stay right around 500, maybe a little below 500 at that point, I think you're feeling good as a Blazer fan because – I think that the team is going to get better as the season goes on just because they're going to be you know, more in cohesion with each other, with the new coach and the new players. And so after that, I think you're right. Like The schedule cools down a little bit, and I think that's where Portland can make a little some of those games up. Uh, another note for the schedule, uh, CJ McCollum comes back to Portland March 1st. So it's yeah. going to be a long wait till CJ comes back to the Motor Center, but that is uh, a game on ESPN. So that'll be, that'll be a fun game. On a separate note, my eyes, when I saw the schedule, immediately went to how many national TV games the Blazers have this year. It's uh, it's only three. The Blazers only have three games on TNT and ESPN. Teams that have less, the Pistons, Rockets, Pacers, Thunder, Magic, Kings, Spurs, and Jazz, all just have one national TV game. The Warriors have 30. Uh, that leads the league. Los Angeles Lakers have 27. Boston has 25. So... I, we've talked about Root Sports and how that's not maybe as accessible as some of the past partners with the Blazers. And, you know, they're just not on ESPN and TNT. They are, they do have 10 NBA TV games this year, but still uh, not not a lot of uh, ESPN TNT broadcasts for the Blazers this year. Yeah, let's talk about that on the other side. That stood out to me as well. I want to give my thoughts on that and what I think the league is going to do as we start to go through this season. More schedule talk ahead. I'm Peter Sampson in for Canzano on the BFT. If you're in Portland, or at least the Portland area, listening on the flagship station, 750 the game. By the way, got a little something fun for you. You're going to want to listen to Stephen Vaughn's sports updates that we do at the top of the bottom of the hour. We're giving away two pairs 
not one, two pairs of tickets if you're a metalhead to see Five Finger Death Punch at RVN Amphitheaters in Ridgefield. That show is this Friday. You're going to want to keep it locked in all day until 6 o'clock for your chance to win. All right, we'll talk more about the schedule on the other side. Samson and Canzano, it's the BFT. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back to the program. Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. It's the BFT. Appreciate you rolling with me on this Wednesday. Trailblazer schedule is out. It's tough early. And uh, if you don't have root sports, not a ton of options. Now, this isn't a surprise because, frankly, the Trailblazers won fewer than 30 games last year. And there's not a huge national demand to see them. So you have one TNT game. And you have two ESPN games. So the game on TNT is going to be November 29th. That is hosting the LA Clippers. The two ESPN games, November 2nd, hosting Memphis. And Wednesday, March 1st, hosting CJ McCollum and the New Orleans Pelicans. And so those make sense. You have ex-Blazers with the Clippers, not to mention Kawhi and Paul George. You have CJ McCollum returning to the Moda Center for the second time. And uh, that will be on ESPN. But... The thing is, so this is by far the fewest uh, national TV appearances, and we're not counting NBA TV on there. They're on the NBA TV. It looks like 10 times at a quick glance here. But this is the fewest appearances on ESPN and TNT going back. I just did a quick glance at the in the last 12 years anyway. Of course, coming off of their Western Conference Finals run, they're on national TV 20 times. I have a feeling fellas, that they're going to be on national TV more than these three times because if Damian Lillard is truly healthy, you know, they played last year without Dame, without anybody. If they start winning some games, and Dame by far is the the one real national draw that the Blazers have. If he's playing well, like a lot of us expect, and I think everyone hopes for, and the team is certainly better than a 27-win pace. I wouldn't be surprised if ESPN flexes a couple of these games because that's how it always goes. They'll schedule, you know, whatever team at random, team flames out, and then they'll go, well, there's not as much interest in this. We'll flex that game out, and we'll add, say, you know, Trailblazers at Boston uh, and move that one in. So it wouldn't surprise me, guys, if the Blazers, and I'm certainly not saying 10 times or something like that, if we end up with maybe five national games instead of the three on the schedule. Yeah, it's the benefit of being out on the West Coast, that there's not as many teams out here. And so Portland does give that benefit of the doubt where if they are good in any way or if they're solid, they're contending for a playoff spot, you're right. Like, they're going to get flexed a few games because there's just so little options out here, right? It's Denver, it's the L.A. teams, it's Sacramento, who we know isn't very good ever. So Portland is a really good option for that. And, yeah, I mean, I I expect Portland to be in the playoff play-in race uh, I don't know how good they're going to be, but they're going to be in the race. So I, I expect them to get a few more uh, the national TV games. Yeah, you make a good point, Stephen, because why why do the Blazers have so few national TV games this year? Well, sure, they're coming off a tanking season, but also you think about who's relevant, who's really good and in demand in uh, the NBA, you know, who wants what NBA teams are in demand right now. It's the Warriors, it's the Lakers, it's the Suns, the Nuggets, the Clippers, 
all of those teams are on the West Coast. So you're right, there's only so many games, so many teams on the West Coast for that 7 p.m. Pacific time, that late night game. But unfortunately for the Blazers, you know, the, the Warriors and the Lakers have the most games uh, out of the most national TV games. Again, it's 30 for the Warriors and 27 for the Lakers. So that kind of flushed out the Blazers. But I, I think I agree with you, Peter. I could totally see them flexing, um, you know, if there's an injury and, and suddenly uh, whatever team isn't able to play their national TV game and Damian Lord's playing really good basketball, I can see them doubling that number or maybe even tripling it. Yeah, it's very possible. Looking back, uh, the the fewest games they've had on national TV in recent seasons was the 2015-16 year. They had five games on national TV. The last two years, it's been nine. Of course, I mentioned the 20 in the 2019-20 season, 13 the year before. And it's double digits more years than not. So it is quite low. I'm, sure, I'm certain that a few are going to get flexed in. Of course, 81 of the 82 games, of course, TNT will not share. 81 of these games will be on route sports. That includes the NBA TV and the ESPN games. I know a lot of contention about route sports. I tend to agree with it. I, I really, it's on Fubo. I love Fubo. I had Fubo before they got route sports. I don't care for the channel. Root Sports, you know, everything looks like it's, you know, being broadcast from 15 years ago. It's still 720p. It's not even 1080, let alone 4K. I understand all that stuff because you got to spend a few bucks to upgrade your equipment. But if you don't have Root Sports, you don't have access. And I feel good about sharing this. I know the Blazers are partnering with them as as well now. There's the new service Avaca TV that's all over. They're advertising heavily in Twitter timelines of uh, NBA fans. And it looks like it's essentially over-the-air digital signal. You get a a digital antenna from them. You pop it up and uh, plug it into your TV. And it's it's 25 bucks a month. And it has a a decent amount of channels. It's certainly not getting, you know, full on cable with all the add on packages, but root sports is part of that. So if you don't want to spend a hundred dollars a month on a full package, when you're only going to watch blazers games, that is an option for you. 25 bucks a month. Root sports is part of that. They've also teamed with sling TV, which I believe is an additional 25 bucks a month. It might be 20 a month. So you can uh, expand your your viewing options and get more of a traditional cable package while still keeping that thing around 50 bucks a month. So if if you're like me, of course, it, it I have to watch everything. <laughs> so I need uh, a bigger package. But, you know, if you're just kind of a basketball fan, you only want to watch the Blazers, but you're not looking to get something large, that might be an option for people. Yeah, and also you can uh, get the extra package and it has the NFL Network, but you get NFL Red Zone as well uh, if you spend a little more uh, with that package. But the problem is also right there, it doesn't have ESPN, it doesn't have TNT. Right. So, uh, you know, but if you are a Blazer fan and you just want to focus on Portland Trailblazer basketball or you're a Mariner fan or a Kraken fan, like this is this might be the way to go. Like if you're really interested in that, you're going to get 81 of the 82 games for the Trailblazers. And it's good to see that the Blazers are actually giving out more options because I think that was the fear of everybody is that it was going to turn into what it was before uh, with NBC Sports Northwest. It's like that's the only option. Like, no, like there's other ways to get it now. You know, I know YouTube TV is big. I have that. We're always hoping that we go to, the route comes to that, but it, obviously not this good season. Luck. Yeah, not this year. Hopefully maybe next year. We don't know. But, yeah, I mean, it's at least it's giving out some extra options. Uh, just in case you don't want to get the whole cable package. Yeah, I, th- I think that segment of the fan base, too, that 
is a diehard Blazers fan but doesn't necessarily make time or even have time in their life to say, oh, I want to watch you know, Pac-12 football or, oh, I want to watch every NBA team. I want this. I want that. There's a good segment of the fan base who just wants to go home. I just want to watch the Blazers. That's it. They're on, they're on three times a week. I just want those. I don't care about anything else. I don't care about movie channels, news channels, any of this other stuff. I don't need 14 cooking networks. Just give me the Blazers. So at least... And bear in mind, I have not used this. I'm just subject to the same marketing that everyone else is when they're talking about signal strength, clarity of picture. I don't know. I don't want to lead you down a bad road. But supposedly it does give you an HD signal over the air. So that might be a good option. Yeah, just reporting the news here. That's all we're doing, reporting <laughs> the news. But, uh, yeah, I mean, and I've learned that, you know, being in this business, you learn that there are a lot of Blazer fans that don't care about the NBA but care about the Blazers. And they have a deep love, whether it was, you know, you grew up with your parents watching your grandparents, yeah. like still listening to the radio to listen to the games. Like there is, there is that market. So if you are part of that market, this may be the way to go. If you just want to watch the Blazers. That's how I grew up, man. When it was in the old Blazer vision days for the playoff games, because it wasn't all national. This is in the eighties, you know, ESPN wasn't doing that. It was still kind of a fledgling network. And you could get the big games, Blazer Vision, and it's essentially pay per view. And uh, they would it would be synced, so you could listen to Sean's on the radio while watching it on Blazer Vision. Go to Grandma and Grandpa's house; they had season tickets, and we would get some of the big games there after they got rid of those season tickets. It was it was so much fun. But I mean, it was a terrible business model having to pay ten bucks, you know, for a game. I know it's not Friday yet. We're not playing What's Your Peeve, but, man, the blackouts. Like, so NBA TV, correct me if I'm wrong, but when the Blazers are on NBA TV, I believe, 10 times a season, you're not able to watch it, right? It's blacked out in that area. And same with NBA you, League yeah, Pass. Yeah, if you watch it on NBA TV, you can't watch it. You can watch it on Root, but you can't right, watch right. it. On, so when they're on, on NBA channel. TV and it's like, oh, great, I have NBA TV. I don't have Root. They're on national TV tonight. Not so fast. Yeah. It's actually, you know, they're you're not actually able to watch it. And then uh, NBA League Pass is another, you know, I, I like NBA League Pass. I think it's a reasonable price. And if you're a basketball junkie and you care about the entire NBA, you get to watch all those games that aren't on national TV. But that also blacks out the Blazers. And you can do the NBA Team Pass for just the one team. But I, I don't can't think, do the Blazers. Yeah, like last year, I worked, I lived in Phoenix during basketball season, so I was able to watch Blazer games, not have it blacked out. But it's so silly. It's so backwards. You live in Portland, so you can't watch the Portland games. Yeah, and look. <laughs> We're probably still like a decade away from it, but I think we're moving away from blackouts and stuff. You look at what the MLS did, and I get it. The MLS isn't a, as much of a, uh, we'll say, rich league as some of the others, but I think they're ultimately moving away from that, moving into streaming as we get rid of the uh, the regional networks and the regional providers altogether. But, yeah, it's absurd. Like I love NBA League Pass. I'm a League Pass junkie. I'll have it going on three screens. By the way, if you are grabbing Fubo uh, just for this basketball season to uh, watch the Blazers on uh, route sports, man, I I grabbed it last week. I don't know if it's still on, but League Pass is only fourteen bucks a month. Fourteen bucks a month for League Pass—that's a steal. I I usually pay double that when I'm doing it, so that's certainly an option there. But yeah, ultimately, with all the blackouts, all those restrictions, maybe Avaca TV is the way to go there. All right, we'll go away, come back. I will take your thoughts on that. 503-417-7575. What jumps out to you when uh, looking at the new Trailblazer schedule that uh, released today? We'll talk a little more NBA on the other side. LeBron James, he has agreed to put pen to paper on a new deal. 
where, how much, and what does that mean? I'll tell you next. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano. Peter Sampson is up next with The Pulse from 6 to 7 on 750 The Game. Welcome back in. Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. It's the BFT on the BFT Radio Network. Lakers star LeBron James has agreed to a two-year, $97.1 million contract extension. That includes a player option for the 2024-25 season. So with that deal, he's ineligible for a no-trade clause because he agreed to an extension, not a new contract. But the starting salary is $46.7 million, the 15% trade kicker, and his stature makes him a Laker for as long as he wants, basically. So he had been entering the final season of his contract. He now joins Anthony Davis with the ability to negotiate a new deal with the Lakers or become a free agent in two seasons. And that eliminates, if you're the Lakers, you're just glad that you've got him locked up because he could have entered free agency next summer. And it's wild at 38 years old how productive LeBron James still is. I mean, 30, without looking, 30.1 points per game, 30.3, right around there. So he's not eligible to be traded in the upcoming season. Not that they ever would trade LeBron because it's the second year of his extension. It exceeds a 5% raise. Now, what this does, though, is it does hamper the Lakers' salary cap room just a little bit. They still, in the 2023 offseason, next summer, could have a little more than $20 million in space, and you can get a meaningful guy for that. With LeBron's connections with Clutch and his stature around the league, you can get substantial role players. Having $20 million in space can get you a little bit, especially so if you've got LeBron and it's the purple and gold jersey. Uh in the 2024 offseason at this point, they would have the ability to sign a third max contract player. And the player options increase salary cap space if players decline them, yet remain on new deals. So, James, and lately he's just been doing the one-year deals, you know. He's actually limited to signing a two-year extension because he'll be 38 or older when the contract expires. That's a le- uh, rule in the league's CBA. It's not the P.J. Tucker rule, but I'll call it the P.J. Tucker rule because, hey, there's another old man signing two-year deals. Lakers obviously missed the playoffs last year. Yeah, LeBron, 30 points, eight boards, six assists. Of course, he dealt with the ankle. He was limited to 56 games. Anthony Davis missed time. Russell Westbrook was bricking shots left and right. It was a tough year. The Lakers, though, we've talked about their uh, lack of first-round picks. Here's the thing. They have some room. They have those guys. Things still come down to, can LeBron stay healthy at this age? For the most part, yeah. Can Anthony Davis stay healthy? No, he cannot. But we're to the point where most of those picks have conveyed. The Lakers at this point, they have seven of their next eight picks. There's two pick swaps left with the Pelicans. I don't remember the, uh, I think it's 24 and 26. I think they can swap. It might be 23 and 25. They can still pick swap, but the Lakers will have first rounders available to use or deal seven of the next eight seasons. So it's the point where they can actually maybe start to consider having a little bit of flexibility to build around these guys. Now, while they don't have quite the geriatric supporting cast that they had last year, 
it certainly isn't anything that, you know, it doesn't wow me. I expect them to be in the mix on the lower end of the playoff uh, picture unless AD stays healthy, plays like AD of 20, you know, 15, which I don't know if he's going to do because even when Anthony Davis was out there last year, he wasn't the same player, guys. He, you know, life comes at you fast and have Anthony Davis, you know, peaking and starting to decline at 28 years old is potentially a major problem. But ultimately, it's a great move for the Lakers. They have LeBron as long as he wants to be there. This is essentially secures, you know, that he wants to sh- set up shop in L.A. And with all the talk about he wants to play where Bronny plays, well, I mean, he's going to be on this deal probably when Le- when Bronny is eligible to join the league. I mean, it certainly seems like maybe the Lakers are going to grab him with the second-round pick here. Yeah, I mean, he's got the player option, so... If some for some reason he thinks he wants to leave and Bronny's going to go somewhere else, he can leave in that situation. But I think you're right. I mean, right now it seems like Bronny, you know, just based everything you read, could be a second round pick, maybe you know, late first round pick. So I think it's right where the Lakers are going to be. And you talk about Anthony Davis, like he is one of the most intriguing players to me in the NBA. When he's healthy and he's right, he's a top ten player in the league, and there's no doubt in my mind about it. But the last time he was fully healthy was in the bubble, and that's because they had a big, long break because of COVID. It's the only reason they won the championship. It's because they got that break. Him and LeBron were healthy going there. So you can't rely on them. So the Lakers are in a weird spot, too, where it's like, do you want to build around LeBron and build around Anthony Davis? Is it worth it to go after Bronny just so you can regain LeBron James? I think of this season, we'll say a lot about what the Lakers do in the future going forward just based on how they you know react to all these injuries and the contracts. Yeah, to me this opens up a little bit of potential intrigue too. So LeBron has, you know, he's got this extension with the Lakers. Could another team look at potentially taking Bronny? Not that you're gonna convince LeBron James to leave LA, but you essentially dangle the rights to Bronny James knowing that the Lakers need to pony up. And you're not going to get an all-star for the guy or anything like that. But could you draft him, say, late in the first round? We'll just say maybe slightly higher than he was expected to go. Pick 25. Could you get two first-rounders, a first and a high second? Something like that. Just a little more value than Bronny's perceived value because, you know, the Lakers desperately want him to make LeBron happy. Could you grab him as an asset and flip him? I mean, you could, but like, what team is going to be willing to do that? You have to be a certain team that wants to go out and get LeBron. Are you going to be a team that is a piece away that's willing to give up some of the future just for that one chance for the I title? Don't, uh, I don't mean I don't mean to get LeBron. I mean, no, knowing LeBron wants to play with him, Andy wants to stay in L.A. Well, if you want Bronny, Lakers, you're going to have to pay yeah. up because we grabbed him. So you got to you got to pony up. Yeah, no, I mean, I guess I, I guess that would work. I don't. I feel like LeBron is not as big as the Lakers brand. It's not. He's right? not. And that's the thing is LeBron has such a big brand, but the Lakers is bigger. So I don't think the Lakers are going to give in to that type of thing if LeBron really tries to play hardball and goes that way. Uh, how how good do you guys think LeBron's going to be? Because this contract extension has him on the books for three more years. By the time he's going to be in his 40s. So I, I don't know. Like So Bronny James, he's going to be – so he's got his third year, LeBron's third year on this contract extension. His last year in Los Angeles is the year that Bronny James is going to be entering the league. So that's a good point. I could see some team like, oh, you want to keep LeBron around? Cuban doing it. Right. Yeah, something like that. But, uh, yeah, no, I think uh, the Lakers are in an interesting spot right now. Um, I think I'm looking at their, their contracts and kind of their, their cap table, and 
they have a lot of short-term contracts. So while they're, we don't expect them to be a title contender this year, the Westbrook thing, hopefully for them, is out after this year. He's got a player option after this year. And let me ask you guys this question. Do you guys see LeBron winning another title with the Lakers? Because while it seems really grim right now, a lot of these are one-year contracts. A lot of the guys that they signed, not sexy at all what they did this offseason. It's a lot of one-year stuff. So uh, I do think that they have more flexibility than some may think. Yeah, I mean, I certainly don't expect waves from them this year. But here's the thing. I mean, LeBron's 38, and on one hand, you could say, like, I mean, he's got to decline any day now, right? Well, I'm not so sure that that he will. So, yeah, you men- you're exactly right. You mentioned that flexibility. And so this year, I mean... Taylor Horton Tucker, he's fine. He's not as good as Laker fan thinks he is, you know. And then you look up and down. Oh, cool. Winyan Gabriel. I mean, he was fun in Portland, but he's not a difference maker. Stanley Johnson has been kind of a bust. He, he's nice, but not Kendrick Nunn. Thomas Bryant. Oh, Lonnie Walker the fourth. I'm sure he'll finally figure things out in the NBA at this point. There's not a lot of impressive stuff in LA. But again, it's what can they do? next offseason and even the offseason after that. And I'm not going to expect LeBron at 40 to average 30 points a game. I'm going to be real, though. It wouldn't shock me at all, at all. But even if he's, uh, you know, slowed down to what, 20, 24 points a game, I, I still think that uh, there's a chance in the final year of that deal they could get it done again. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I'm i not going to bet against LeBron James. Like I, He's just such a freak. Uh, freaking nature like he really is like the way he's built the way he's developed his game I mean you think about when he was younger he couldn't really shoot the basketball now he's a pretty accurate three-point shooter pretty good shooter from the from the perimeter so I think LeBron's gonna come back really healthy and I still think he's the top five top ten player in the NBA yeah I mean I think the Lakers always have the opportunity to get bigger players into their market and like Sean said a lot of guys are on one-year deals if there's a team that struggles this season they're willing to flip one of their stars the Lakers are a team because they have you know guys that are on deals that aren't very long and they can get out of those big contracts. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens down there over the next couple of years. But LeBron James locked in to the Lakers. He does have that player option, but I mean, all indication is that he wants to uh, set up shop in L.A. He loves it there. Probably not going to leave. I'm curious to see, though, if another team does grab Brawny when he's eligible and say, hey, you want him? You're going to have to pay. All right, we'll go away, come back on the other side. Some NFL news coming out. We'll talk about that, keep you updated on everything going on as we move into Hour 2 shortly. Peter Sampson in for John Cazzano. This is the Bald Face Truth. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Cazzano on 750 The Game. Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. It's the bald-faced truth. Some NFL news. Apparently, the league and Deshaun Watson are still negotiating a settlement. They tried to do this the first time when they were in the uh, the arbitrator was uh, holding the initial hearings and it came upon her ruling to uh, suspend Watson for six games. The league was pushing for a lot more. And uh, we got word that they had kind of been going back and forth. They were willing to agree to four. The league wanted a year. And at least I think the number that bandied around was at least $8 million. And they wanted him to get help. So the league appealed the ruling. Peter Harvey is the appeals officer. 
But apparently what's going on here, they're negotiating on the back end, sort of in quiet, and uh, Peter Harvey is holding off on a ruling while they work on it. So he uh, possibly kind of already has an idea what he's going to rule in this case, but he's waiting to see if the two parties, the league and uh, the Players Association, Watson, his attorneys, that camp over there, if they can work something out here. Guys, do you think they're going to settle in this real quickly? Are they going to agree to a, a full season or 12 games and some sort of monetary penalty? No, I don't. I don't think that they're going to because I think Deshaun, I think the NFL wants the whole year for sure. Yes. And I think they're a very hard stance on that. And I don't think Deshaun is going to want to give in for a whole year. So I think it's going to be a fight for that whole year. The NFL wants him suspended. So I don't, I don't think they can come up with a, with an agreement. Yeah. I'm with Steven. I, uh, I totally think that the NFL is going to be pretty clear on 16 games. Like, you know, there's no if, ands or buts about it. And, uh, I don't know. I thought it was super interesting, the uh, the stance. We never really got the chance to talk about it, but last Friday, uh, the stance that Deshaun Watson took, and he finally kind of came out and apologized. So maybe, like, I, we were talking about on the BFT last Friday, like, why why that happened, you know, why it happened then. It was before the preseason game, and Deshaun Watson basically just apologized to all the victims of his actions. So maybe, maybe we're inching towards that direction, where it's, you know, Deshaun Watson starting to say, okay, I want this to be over. I want to admit some guilt and I want to accept my penalty now. So now that I think about it just while I'm talking, I could see them maybe settling and just being out this entire year. Yeah, see, that's what I think. I mean, the the NFL finally, years later, when it comes to issues with, with uh, player behaviors, finally, I think, really drawn a line in the sand here. And, I mean... <laughs> I know they want a year. I wouldn't be surprised if they even pushed for more. You you should settle for a year. Don't make us ask for two. And not only that, I think they want to dictate that he uh, gets some help. And whether that's actual help or it's just for show. So if something happens again, they can say, well, we mandated counseling or therapy or what have you. We had the financial penalty. We did this. If it happens again, we're going to push for, I don't know, a, you know, a lifetime ban or something. And I'm just pulling that out of thin air. So I wouldn't be surprised if they do settle. I think the NFL is going to say this is not going to go away, and we can make it a lot worse for you except the punishment. And it's about time the NFL made a stand like this. Amen. And it's and it's just something that is worthy of taking a stand for. And so the, for, the, for the NFL that gets a lot of criticism for these kind of things, I'm taking my hat off to that. Yeah, without a doubt. So going to be interesting to see what happens there. But apparently the appeals officer is holding off while they negotiate a settlement. All right, hour number one in the books. We'll be back on the other side. You are listening to The Bald Face Truth with Peter Sampson in for John Canzano on the BFT Radio Network. BFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, in for John Canzano, here's Peter Sampson with The Bald Face Truth. Hour number two of the Bald Face Truth. I'm Peter Sampson in for John Cazzano. He'll be back next week. It's been a fun week. I'm not going to say my voice is tired, but my voice is uh, humming along, doing three and four hours a day this week. It's been great. I love the opportunity to keep the seat warm. The only downside is I have less time to play Elden Ring. That's the only bummer. I'm a few months late to that game. Spectacular. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's like Dark Souls meets uh, Skyrim. Very, very good. Of course, I don't know how much time I'm going to have to even play that. Day after tomorrow, Madden 23 comes out. 
I'm not a Madden every year guy. I buy Madden every other year. You know what I mean? Because it's each year is pretty similar to the year before. But uh, I'm looking forward to this one. I'm going to pick it up. It's cool, of course, with uh, Madden's passing last year. He is on the cover of all three editions this year. Looking forward to it. Guys, do you play Madden? Yes. Yes, I play Madden with my good friends uh, almost nightly. Almost nightly? Yeah, we either play 2K or Madden, one or the other, uh, close to nightly. Wow. Um, yeah, last night... Uh, Last night my internet went out on me, and that uh, that was the end of my night. So uh, no, but Madden's a lot of fun, and uh, you know we uh, yeah we put together a draft and we draft our own team, and then uh, we go head to head. And uh, it's I, I enjoy Madden. For a while, I thought Madden was kind of like all right, it's a football game. It's uh, there's not a lot of skill involved in it, but lately I've you know I've uh, definitely determined that like defense and you got to takes a lot of skill to yeah. throw the throw the ball in that game and run the ball so I really enjoy it I'm going to be purchasing that in 23. What do you play it on? What platform? PS4. My man. Yeah. We'll share usernames after up. the yeah. show. Let's do it, man. Do you play Madden Steven? Uh, I haven't played Madden for a long time. I have Madden 17 as the last Madden okay. I got, but back in the day I definitely was a Madden every year guy. Uh you know, me and my brother would do franchise mode all the time. We got my dad into it, so it was more of a family thing also like we're, you know, staying up doing the off season. Uh, every single year. I'm trying to get back into these type of things as my son is seven years old. He's still a little young for games like Madden because I could just dominate him at it. But, uh, you know, coming up soon, one of these years, we'll get back into Madden and 2K and uh, I'll, I'll dominate him. I like how you mentioned it as a family thing because that's totally legit. Even people that are maybe are older didn't grow up playing video games like we did, so they don't have the, the Twitch reflexes. There's so much of the, the sim off-season, you know, football manager sort of stuff that y- you can really have a blast in those type of games, you know, 2K as well, FIFA as well, without ever actually playing the game itself, if that makes sense. Like, you're not actually controlling the guys, but just managing, being the GM, being the coach, you can you can have a blast. I mean, that's like everyone's dream, right? To, like, run a draft board, like, have the draft room, make the free agent signings. Like, we love that kind of stuff. And, you know, then you create little backstories for all your guys. You know, oh, this, you know, this guy in the third round is a steal out of Oregon. You know? <laughs> I love it. So, to me, the ultimate uh, GM sim mode, to me, it's NBA 2K. It's so deep. It's so much fun. And, uh, of course, you know, I was got to play the Blazers every year, see how they do. You know, and you can sim, sim a 10,000 seasons, see how they're going to do this year. Uh, by the way, uh, NBA 2K says the Blazers will be mediocre this year. But uh, that's why you actually play the games, right? What is the best sports game, by the way? Is it, is it 2K? Is it Madden? Or is it FIFA? What is it? Well, you know, well it changes. I think I think it's a it's a different question, right? Is it what's the best or what's my favorite? Yeah, what are sure. we judging it on? Because the best I think of all time is Madden, right? Like I think the best series of all time is Madden. Like it's gone from you know Madden what ninety two ninety three yeah. all the way up to now. I think that's the best all time series. Now I know the games aren't as good now, and people have a lot of complaints about them. But I think overall longevity, it's got to be Madden. My favorite game of all time is College Hoops two K eight with Greg Oden on it. I still randomly play it every now and then. I played it like maybe a month ago. Uh, again, I'm a college hoops guy, so I, I just love it. love the recruiting. love to pretend that I would actually be playing Division One basketball. So that, that's my go-to. So I think in terms of actual gameplay and uh, what takes the most skill and which one that, like, it doesn't just screw you over with, like, some interception or, like, you know, has the best animations, I think FIFA. FIFA. I honestly think FIFA... 
Like you, if you play a good FIFA player, you will lose seven to zero mm-hmm. or nine to zero. Like every time, if it's a really like Adam bad Sussman, player. right? Like Adam Sussman. Yes, uh, I don't feel that way about Madden or 2K as much as I do about FIFA. I think FIFA is the you know the most legit. But in terms of you know NBA and NFL, like I know the players really well, so right. I can go on and. You know, like I said, me and my friends, we like to draft teams and pretend like we're GMs, and I know the new players. So every year, I always want to buy the new 2K because it's like, okay, the Blazers added Jeremy Grant. I want to go use Jeremy Grant uh, in Portland this year, and that's what keeps me buying the game. Plus, you get, like, the new ratings. Like, okay, John Morant just had a really good year. I cannot wait to use him in the next 2K. Steph Curry coming off of finals. He's now going to be an unbelievable player in 2K. So. I kind of have those emotions attached to both Madden and 2K, um, where it's just I know those sports really well, but I do think the best gameplay is FIFA. Yeah, I would agree with that. When we're talking pick up and play, FIFA is so smooth. And I know a lot of the deep stuff, some of the diehard fans, they have complaints with, with some of it, whether it's changed too much or not changed enough, and they just slapped a new sticker on it. But if we're just talking, and again, I'm not a diehard soccer fan. I, I just want to pick up and play as the Timbers. You know what I mean? And I love doing that. And then if we're talking all the sim, the management, GM mode, doing the 30-year franchise mode, for me it's 2K. And then Madden sort of splits both those differences because sometimes 2K can be can be frustrating. And it's so deep in the player's actual movements and stuff like that, it can be kind of tough to execute, and you sort of end up executing nothing or just some garbage shot. Madden to me sort of splits the difference. So even though I'm I'm probably a 2K guy at heart, I think Madden the sim is so fun, the depth is so fun, but it's also rad just to pick up a controller and play. Yeah, I, for me, if I'm going to sim a game, I think I want 2K. Like, I love the offseason of the NBA, the draft, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, a dark horse candidate for favorite type of game would be college football, NCAA football. I mean, that game... Legendary. Legendary, awesome. like... Not only is that a game you can pick up and play, but it's a game you can sim because it's you know it's you're building your program up, and a lot of times you take a bad team, make them a good team, or you want to be the Ducks and you want to start out as really good, just win national championships. I mean, me and my brother had some battles where he was the Ducks, I was the Beavers, or I would just choose some random team and build them up. Like that game has a combination of both the sim and the playability factor. Yeah, and it's too bad it went away, but you know, twenty fourteen. Yeah, twenty fourteen was Denard Robinson, but it's like. For me, it has to be mad at me, number one, just because the longevity, right? Like, if if NCAA football had been out for 30 years like Madden, I think I'd give it to that. But it just the longevity of Madden, i got to give it to that as the number one. Madden, man, I remember 94. It was like our first PC at the house, and we got a copy of Madden. And just the fact that – because I had played, you know, Tecmo Bowl, Tecmo Super Bowl, Ness play action football, John Elway football. I had Joe Montana football for the Sega Genesis. The first time I opened up Madden, and it wasn't just the depth of the playbook – you could design your own plays in yeah. that. And, I mean, obviously now the graphics are a joke and everything, but just I can't believe you can actually do this. It was unbelievable. And it's funny, Stephen, you mentioned NCAA football. It's coming back, baby. Ne- next year, two years, they're next, working on it. Next summer, yeah. Next summer uh, for NCAA football, 24. So Makes so much sense with NIL. No right. excuse to not have it now. Exactly. And that game truly truly might be the best of all time. I don't throw that in that list because they don't make it anymore, but pretty soon, I mean, these other sports games, and especially Madden, they're going to have to really, I mean, I know they're both EA, so they're getting money either way, but I think there might be a little bit of up in the game on both sides. I got a shout-out to NCAA Basketball. I think I played that for the Super NES back in the 90s. I remember playing as North Carolina, Eric Montross just dominating. You could be Duke and NC and all, and it was so much fun, but yeah, being able to 
play those college sports, there's just something to it, man. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's a lot of times, and even this market, because we only have the Blazers if you're in the Portland market, like, a lot of us are college football, college basketball fans. Like, we have an alliance to our you know, school that we root for. And so I think there's just a difference between the pageantry of a professional league and the college game. And it actually comes out in video games pretty well. Like they, they relay the college atmosphere a lot better. I think that they do the NBA or the NFL atmosphere in those games, which is pretty amazing. So that, you know, for me, like that is really fun to have just, you know, that type of emotion involved in it. And especially now in this day and age, I mean, you know, I got the 65 inch 4k, I got the 300 watts surround sound and Dolby 5.1. You're talking that game day atmosphere. It's going to come pretty close, man. Yeah. And there's so many traditions in college football, right? right? Like I remember NCAA football 14, the ducks, they got the duck riding out of the motorcycle. Like they have all the introductions. They have all those things. And it's so, there's so many traditions that they keep alive in that game. Yeah. What is the best sports video game? 503-417-7575. 75 on Twitter at Peter Sampson. I just are we crazy? Is it actually NBA Jam? Is it NFL Blitz? Is MLB it, the show. Oh man, I've been playing I'm I'm an MLB the show guy. Yeah. It's just because it's not truly it's not on every platform. It's starting to expand. I think it came out on Xbox this year. It did, yeah, it did. But it was a PlayStation exclusive. Right. Now I have a PlayStation, I'm a PS4 guy, yeah. but the show is Beautiful. That's also a, that's a great point. It's a wonderful game to sim. Uh, pitching can be tricky. Hitting can be even trickier. But once you actually get it dialed in, man, it's so much fun. Yeah, I mean, years ago, I was looking to buy a new system between the Xbox uh, and the PS4 because I had the Xbox 360. But the, the MLB The Show actually swayed me to get the PS4. Yeah. Like that game was it because I wanted to play a true baseball game. And it's it, like you guys said, it's a great game. Like it's really fun. The graphics are great, and it seems pretty realistic. So I really love it. Before we move away from the uh, the NCAA football video game yeah. topic, who's going to be the uh, – I wonder who's going to be the cover artist uh, because it's going to be next summer. Who uh, – cover athlete, I mean. Um, Caleb Williams, maybe? Because you have to think about who are going to be the best players going into next year's college football. Right. Not this year, but next year's college football right. season. Dante Moore, baby. Dante well, if, Moore. If, it could if, be Arch Manning. If you're EA Sports, do you give it to an active college guy, or do you give it to a player that's going to be in the NFL? Right. They always gave it to the guys that had graduated the mm. year before. Oh, is that right? Yeah. So It's like, been so long. Yeah. I thought it was, okay, they were trying to hype up yeah. you know, the potential Heisman favorite. They might change that, they though, change now with though. NIL. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, they could do Arch Manning, Dante. Who's, who's that Ohio? kid who signed even in high school he signed the nil deal yeah yeah, yeah. i'm blanking on his name but it could be that kid it's gonna be interesting if they to go see. with a college basketball game bronny james on the cover in a ducks uniform <laughs> oh i i want a college hoops Dude. game again take me back to the mid 90s i played the hell out of that game for super ness just college slam Oh, it, it only had one angle, and it was a baseline, and then it would just yeah. rotate. I don't. I think it was just called the NCAA basketball, but it was unbelievable. But I'm ready. I'm so glad. EA, look, EA is not a good company. They just happen to have some awesome intellectual property. I'm glad that they finally heeded the call because they could have brought it back even without NIL. It would have been tough, but especially as as you mentioned there, now that that's a possibility, you can get everybody, every team, cut everyone a check, and just sit back and let the money roll in, right? Because 2K and Madden have both tried to bring that college aspect into it where you can create a player 
and you start in college, and then you end up in the NFL. But it's not even close to that road to glory mode that used to have in NCAA and, and football. Ma- and Madden had added in the where you can pick from like the eight real universities. Yeah. It, it was awesome, but it's not complete. Not complete at all. Where like it only included some of the biggest schools. You know, your Florida, your Bama, your Ohio State Oregon. schools like that. Oregon was often in the mix. Oklahoma. But it was never like you go right to the college football playoff and you get to play two games. And it's just it's never the same. I just remember growing up playing Road to Glory and you get to start in high school. You get to just go crazy in high school. You could be a quarterback and you can mm-hmm. throw for 500 yards. And then you get to, you know, get your pick of the letter. You try to win a state championship first and then you get your pick of the letter for college and you make your way through a full college season. Just I can't wait to have that back. And you're right. I mean, to think about how iconic those games are and now with modern day technology um, and some of the advancements and some preparation, I, I imagine it's going to be it's going to be epic when it comes out. Yeah. So 247 Sports, they just had an article that came out about the new game that's going to come out next summer. They had some things about it. And we talked about the NIL deal and they did an informal poll, obviously not all the players, but they they talked to over two dozen players and only one guy really said, you know, I would need a lot of money for me to be in the game. Where there's one player, uh, DJ Ugalele, whatever his name Ugalele. is, DJ DJ U from Clemson, the quarterback. <laughs> he uh, he said he didn't care about the money. Like he just wanted to be in the game because he grew up playing that game. And so for him to be in that and have that type of you know that kind of honor to be in it, he would love it. Who, and, who said they needed the money? Uh, they didn't say who it was, ah. but but some of the you know they they came out with some of the features and you know the road to glory is going to be back, the dynasty is going to be back. Uh, you know all the all the throwback uniforms, all the traditions, all the stickers, all that kind of stuff, the crowds and chants. So. You know, it's coming out next. It's supposed to come out next summer, which should be awesome. I can't wait for it. Yeah, here I've got a little piece of that. Uh, got some audio here. Let's hear from them. Engine. Um, yeah. I, I feel like the Madden engine is likely direction based on your story. What will that look like? Yeah, that's kind of the, the bare bones of it. you got to have a skeleton for a game. So simply put, they're using the Madden engine, but they're tweaking it. They've been building off of it. Remember, this didn't start overnight. They've been working on this from the college football side for really the last three years. I know it was announced back in January of 2021 or February 2021, but they were even kind of working on it a little bit before that, preparing for the idea of being able to pitch this. And so they're tweaking things. It's going to feel like a college game, but it will have the bare bones of that Madden engine powering it all. I should ask this from the top because this is probably the question everybody's going to know, but what platform are you going to be able to play this on? Yeah, listen, that's a big sticking point for a lot of fans right now. It appears, based off the sourcing I have, that it's only going to be next-gen only, PlayStation 5, and, of course, the Xbox, uh, what is the next new Xbox? Series X. Series X. So there you go. No PS4, no, Bex, no Xbox One. So save up your money. Good luck trying to get PlayStation 5 out there. I know they're still uh, hawking those all over eBay for like 900 bucks. But as of right now, that's kind of what they're thinking. Next-gen only, PC to be determined. Yeah, it makes sense considering it's not going to be till next year that it's next gen only. By the way, if you've had a hard time getting a PS5, right now, no invite needed. You can go to PlayStation.com with the caveat, the only one they have available that is not sold out today is a PS5 with the disc reader, and it's the uh, Horizon Forbidden West, so you got to buy a game with it too. But if you got 550 bucks and you don't mind uh, committing to a game, you can, at least as of 20 minutes ago, buy a PS5 right now. Yeah, it's like I said, I, I got the PS4 because MLB The Show looks like I'm going to be getting a next-gen console just for NCAA Football 24. Like that That's the type of game that is worth it for 100%. me to go all in and get a new next-gen situation. So I am uh, definitely saving my money like they suggested, and I will be getting the next-gen system coming soon. I feel defeated. 
Honestly, <laughs> you played that audio clip, and I was so excited about the NCAA game. And then they just threw in, just subtly, oh, you need a $500-plus-dollar piece of equipment in order to play this game. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully by next year, this time next year, when it launches, as we expect, uh, there'll be a lot more available. Uh, maybe there'll even be a price drop at some point. Because again, you can you can go three hundred ninety nine bucks for the digital only. I want the the disc reader because it's backwards compatible. I have. <laughs> I have like 300 PS4 games, but only like 10 of them are physical. I'd still like to play them, I guess. But you know what? If the only thing that's available is a digital, I'm taking it. Yeah, I've become such a digital guy with the with the video game system because I'm tired of my kids like, hey, dad, will you switch the game for me? It's like, no. You know, <laughs> now, now they can do it themselves on the control. They can switch back and forth. So I'm okay with the digital only, actually. I'd be okay with that. Uh, I love that. All right. What is the best sports game? I feel like we didn't talk NBA Jam enough, man. He's heating up. That's the whole Oh, man, the amount of money I pumped into the arcade playing NBA Jam back in the 90s. There's the secret code so you can play as the Beastie Boys and everything. It was good times. 503-417-7575. More BFT ahead. Peter Sampson in for Kanzano. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Kanzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back to the program. Peter Sampson in for JC. He'll be back next week. Braves are red hot. Recovering from that terrible series against the Mets last weekend where it looked like they were falling out. They've done quite well against New York in their series so far this week. Of course, they're growing up against Max Scherzer tonight. Now, I did see this. Uh, Michael Harris, the second young Braves player, Signed an eight-year deal with Atlanta worth seventy-two million bucks. Now this is impressive. He just joined the big leagues in May. He's having a nice year. He's hitting two eighty-seven, twelve homers, thirteen steals in seventy-one games. He was rookie of the month for the National League in June. He's the second young star they've signed this month. Third baseman Austin Riley signed a ten-year, two hundred and twelve million dollar deal last week. And so I look at this. From the team standpoint, hey, you've got someone of of value. They're young. They're going to grow with the organization. You lock them up eight years, kind of a long commitment, $72 million. That seems like a pretty significant money for a dude that has three months of major league experience. But what I wonder, guys, and you've seen this with a couple of different dudes, is Harris leaving money on the table here? He's signed in a big contract this quickly, and I get that right off the bat, boom, financial security. I, I never have to worry about money again. I'm good. But if he's truly the player that he looks like he is, couldn't he have made more by waiting just a season or two, having another big year? And we've seen it before. You know, when we talked about this off air, you know, you mentioned Ronald Acuna Jr., eight years, $100 million. And that was a big contract when he signed it. But now you look at the player that he is getting him at 12 and a half a year. I mean, he's going to be 30 years old, only making like 16 million bucks. That's a steal for the team. Should this guy or maybe players in general, especially in Major League Baseball, should he have waited a little bit and maybe tried to maximize his earnings? Yeah, I mean, I understand both ways. And we talked about Juan Soto because that was the same thing, right? He was offered 15 years, $440 million, I believe. And I kind of made the argument like, well, when he's 30 years old, he's going to be outperforming that contract. He, if he's still a free agent at that time, he can get more money than that. If as long as he stays healthy, you know. And so for me, you know, I understand where Michael Harris is coming from. Uh, you know, 
And it's not that he is not betting on himself. It's not that he's confident in himself. I think he's just taking the money because you know he's played, like you said, a couple months in the major leagues. And to get $72 million guaranteed, like that's hard to turn down. So I don't blame him for that. But yeah, I mean, I think I think the Braves are happy and they're ecstatic about this because they got him and Acuna locked up at good money. I mean, in like about three or four years, when those guys are all-stars and they're making you know $15 million, the Braves are going to be in great situations. But this has... Uh, not worked out in the past as well. You know, the first one was John Singleton on the Astros. He made $10 million before yep. he made the major league roster. They gave him that as he got called up. He never played it. He never made it out with the Astros. Evan White with the Mariners, same thing. He got, I believe, like a 12 or $15 million contract. He's been hurt a lot, but it hasn't worked out as well. Where, you know, this looks like it worked out with Acuna. It looks like it's going to work out with Harris. So it, it's a risky proposition for both both sides. Uh, but I think if you're the team, you're excited that the players are signing this contract. Yeah, I think it's hard to turn down an eight-year deal, right? I mean, it, I know people always say betting on yourself, and, uh, you know, I'm sure Harris is someone for him to get this far as someone that has always bet on himself and, you know, uh, has taken risk. But at the same time, if a team offers you an eight-year deal, I think it's really hard to turn down. Just that financial stability for the next eight years. I know injuries are pretty prevalent. They can happen at any time in the sport of baseball. And um, I, I just, uh, you're right. We've seen this. We've seen this other times where it doesn't work out. Maybe he's going to be a, become a superstar in this league, and he exceeds um, this amount. I mean, we've seen that with like I think most notably, probably most famously, famously, like a Scottie Pippen. You know, he signs a long-term deal, terrible contract. Cl- yeah, close, not even close to enough money. And so, yeah, he's not making as much money as other MLB superstars per year, but the get an eight-year deal and to be part of this Braves core. Because, Peter, they've been they've been signing a lot of people. They have pretty much a, a really strong youth core that's locked up for a while now, right? They they do, and more on the horizon. This kid Grissom who just called up and he hit a, he hit a bomb over uh, the Green Monster in his uh, Major League debut. It wasn't his first at-bat, but he had a, a massive shot there. Things are bright. And I, I just look at this, and again – as a fan of the team, I'm psyched that they locked this kid up, but I'm looking at it from his perspective and you go, well, look, I mean, take the money. I, and I can't even say that if someone, you know, offered me 72 million bucks over eight years after a lifetime of hard work that I'd say no, but literally just last week, another Braves young star who maybe didn't take the money two years ago at, at his age 23 season, his second year, his first full year. And then he plays a complete season. He finished seventh in MVP. He was a Silver Slugger Award winner. And then this year he was an all-star. I'm talking about Austin Riley, who sort of put up for another year and a half. And instead of eight years, 72, he gets 10 years, 212. Yeah, it's tough to say, right? Like, again, it would be so hard to say, I don't want $72 million. That's right? a like, challenge, right? Like that is would be so hard to do. But sports is sports is such a weird business is that they're paying you for what you did. They're not paying you for what you're doing. Currently, they're paying you for what you've done. So for Michael Harris to get $72 million offered for you for a couple of months of work, basically, like that would be very hard to do, right? Where Austin Riley, he said, you know what, I'm going to... I'm going to play and uh, become a better player and get paid more money because they're paying on me off of what I did. So if Michael Harris waited a few years, he probably gets more money, but it's not guaranteed. So it, that's why sports is such a weird business. Like you would think yeah. it's what you're going to do or what you're doing, but it, no, it's all about what you have done and not about the future. Yeah, very team-friendly deal, of course. Riley, uh, Harris the second, Acuna, Matt Olson, all locked up. Young Spencer Strider, my man, the stash. 
and the curveball. He's got both of them. Max Freed, Charlie Morton's older, but he's still there. The future bright for Atlanta. All right, we'll go away, come back. I do want to talk sports in money just a little bit more, but we're going to switch to the NFL. A big signing today. What are we going to see in the wake of this mega deal in the uh, NFL? Leave it here. Peter Sampson in for Gonzano. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Gonzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back to the program. I'm Peter Sampson. This is the bald-faced truth. Appreciate you rolling with me on this beautiful Wednesday. If you didn't win during that last sports update here in Portland, of course, here in Portland only, we are giving away tickets to Five Finger Death Punch. You still have one more chance to win a pair of tickets to Friday's show in Ridgefield. That's at the RV Inn and Resorts Amphitheater. You're going to want to keep listening to Stephen Vaughn's updates. 5 o'clock, 5.30, Portland only. I got love for you, Eugene, Roseburg, and K Falls, of course. But uh, we're doing that here on the flagship station. So make sure to keep it locked in here for the next hour and a half. I do want to talk some NFL. We were talking uh, uh, Major League Baseball money in the last segment with uh, um, the the Braves signing Michael Harris uh, the second to an eight-year, $72 million a year uh, or $72 million deal. He's only in his third month in the majors. Committed to a big contract. Maybe he could have played another year or two and done what his buddy Austin Riley did over at third base and uh, showed out for another year and a half and then signed a 10-year, $212 million contract. But baseball isn't the only uh, sport where money's flying right now. Derwin James, the Chargers, is now the highest-paid safety in the league. He locked up a big extension today. Four-year deal worth $76.5 million. That includes a $42 million signing bonus. Of course, Derwin James, spectacular safety. He was an all-pro last year. He had, God, it was like 120 tackles, 118 tackles, two sacks, two picks, three forced fumbles. And, of course, over the offseason, we saw the wide receiver market explode. A couple years ago, we saw the quarterback market explode. And... I look at this, and part of me says, I mean, look, this is just what salaries are. I also sort of say, man, is $19 million a year too much for a safety? And I'm not sure if it is or not. And not only that, seeing this deal, are we going to see some other star safeties maybe look to hold out in the wake of this deal and see if they can get a piece of the pie as well? Yeah, it's interesting what the Chargers are doing uh, because we've talked about this team before and how they're going all in uh, around Justin Herbert's Smart move. kind of his last year before Justin Herbert gets paid a bajillion dollars. Uh, but I think Derwin James is definitely uh, worthy of a contract like this. I mean, how many safeties can you name that are better than Derwin James right now? I don't right. think there's many. I do think Derwin James has been a little bit injury prone um, in his career. But nonetheless, I think this is a guy who's going to be there for the next four years. He's going to be producing for the next four years. And uh, they're gonna they're gonna need him, you know. And I'm not sure if a holdout was gonna happen uh, with Derwin James if he didn't get this deal. But regardless, the Chargers have Super Bowl aspirations. I know they weren't a, a playoff team last year, but I do think they have Super Bowl aspirations this year. And so you need Derwin James in the mix. So I do think this was a good move. And um, yeah, I think uh, I expect him to have a big year. Hopefully, stay healthy. If he stays healthy, I, I'm not sure how many safeties there are better in the league right now. Yeah, and I mean when you got Justin Herbert on his rookie deal. 
right? Like that's the big part of it is he's on his rookie deal. You can afford to overpay at some positions that you don't necessarily want to overpay at. You look at the other safeties that are paid in this league, Jamal Adams, uh, you know, this, you think of the impact he has in Seattle, not much. Right. Mika Fitzpatrick in Pittsburgh. I mean, he's a really good player, but he took him away. If you take him away from Pittsburgh, there's still a really good defense. So safety isn't necessarily the big spot you need, but when you got a guy like Herbert, who's only making, I believe, uh, Four years, $26 million, <laughs> right? Like he could be a top five, top three quarterback this year just based off progression. You can overpay and you can sign right. some of these guys and really go for it, especially when you're in the AFC West, man. We talked about how hard that division is going to be. The Chargers are right up there with everybody else. Why can't they make the uh, playoffs? Why can't they make the Super Bowl? You go all in, and that's what the Chargers are doing. So I love it. I love the coach, how he goes for it on fourth down. It's the whole just trans, you know, you, we always thought the Chargers, you know, kind of charging it and missing kicks and messing up to lose games. They've changed the culture around it. They're going all in just like the Rams did in L.A. I like to see what the Chargers are doing. Yeah, yeah. I, it certainly makes sense from that aspect. I'm just wondering if you're going to see another, you know, is Javon Holland going to go, uh, hmm, that's interesting. By the way, Sean McPherson, before the show, I heard you had some Dolphins hot takes. I want to. I want to. What are your Dolphins hot takes? I know you're a Dolphins fan, and I know you're probably excited this year. What are the hot takes you got? Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm giddy for this season. I think they're a ten win team. I. Uh, I think they can win the AFC East. I know the Bills are probably the best team in football, but come on, I think this is a ten or eleven win team. If the Bills, if not everything is happy and jolly in Buffalo this year, I do think that. The Bills, uh, you know, the Dolphins can can win that division. But, no, I've just been following practice reports, and it's funny you brought up Javon Holland because I think he's on a trajectory to be in the same conversation yeah. as guys like Derwin James, Mika Fitzpatrick, other of the best safeties um, in the NFL right now. Apparently, he's been dominating training camp. I, I saw he had two picks. Yeah, uh, which is, like, bittersweet because two was thrown those picks, <laughs> yeah, right. right? So, Javon Holland is making plays. Uh, yeah, Pete Prisco had a good tweet today that, of course – uh, you know, it's a it was a tweet for me, people like me, Dolphins fans. But uh, Javon Holland's killing it at training camp. Tyree Kill, no one can guard him apparently at Dolphins training camp. Um, and uh, the defense apparently is super good. I I think I think more highly of the Chargers this year because they have Justin Herbert. I think if the Dolphins had dra- drafted Justin Herbert, they would be uh, probably Super Bowl favorites right now. Whoops. The other pieces that they have. Whoops. But I do think that the Dolphins are a, a team that can make a playoff run this year. I mean, come on. Like, what what's the weakness on the team? Quarterback, right? That's yeah. about it. And yeah. that's only the most important position. That's right. all. That's the most that's important that, that, position. But are we sure that they're weak at quarterback? Well, have we given Tua enough time yet? I don't think we have. And I'm certainly not a Tua apologist. We've all seen what we've seen. That being said, I still think there was a little bit of a, a trust issue. He's still coming off that injury. I don't think he's going to match anywhere close to what Justin Herbert is doing. But I still think Tua, Tua's got another gear. I think he can be fine. He can be fine. And look, if you have a defense that that's good and you have a Tyreek, assuming Tua can actually get the ball downfield to him, I think you can make a run with a quarterback that's fine. Now, that being said, I do think the Dolphins can make a run. They're not going to win that division, though. They're not going to win that division. It's going to be the Bills. Talk about Tua. I mean, check out this. Number 40-yard touchdown passes, 40-yard-plus yeah, touchdown passes this. in their I've career. Odell Beckham, two. Tua, one. <laughs> I've heard this. So it's like Tyreek Hill, yeah, he can get open. But can Tua throw the ball down the field, or is it just going to be bubble screen after you. bubble screen? That, that That's the concern, obviously, for the Dolphins. But, Peter, you know, you, we talked about Sean. Sean said the Dolphins and the Char- Dolphins would be better than the Chargers, right? Did you say that? No. No, you no, said no, no, they're, no. They're just I, We were just talking about the Chargers. I, I'm more 
warm on the Chargers this year than I am the Dolphins. Yeah. I think the Chargers are a true Super Bowl contender. I'm not quite there with the Dolphins, but I do think that other than quarterback, the Dolphins are loaded. Wait, and I do think with yes. Mike McDaniels, okay, Brian Flores was not a good offensive head coach. He was a good. He didn't deserve to be fired. He was wrongfully uh, terminated from that position. But I, I do think that he was not a good offensive head coach. I'm excited. Just like it's the third year with Tua, who has a, had a really bad two years, a little bit injured throughout the two years. But he's one of the best college quarterbacks statistically of all time. Sure, he played at Bama under Nick Saban, and he had all the weapons and the resources in the world. But he still was a five-star recruit, one of the best college quarterbacks we've ever seen. He's only in year three, and he's got Mike McDaniel's now, who you know he he helped Jimmy Garoppolo look like a formidable quarterback. And you know he also Mike McDaniel's was the one that really unleashed Debo Samuel. And now Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle, who I would argue are probably the two two of the most electric, explosive wide receivers in this entire league. I, I just can't wait to see what happens. Yeah, and you know you know it's interesting. You look at the schedule, and granted, they I mean, obviously they have to play the Bills twice, but they also get to play the Jets twice. The Patriots are kind of eh. But you look at this schedule here, okay, Patriots at Ravens going to be tough versus Bills going to be tough, at Bengals tough, but then Jets, Vikings, Steelers, Lions, Bears, Browns of Deshaun Watson. Best case scenario, Deshaun Watson is back. Uh, you know, he's been back for two weeks after missing a year and a half. Texans, 49ers, Chargers, Bills. But then you are you have to take on the Packers before you close again at the Patriots and the Jets. That's not an easy schedule. It's not a brutal schedule. Yeah, Peter, I want to ask you this then. So I think it's fair to ask. Sean kind of made the comparison of the rosters besides the quarterbacks, right? You, the, obviously, the Chargers have a better quarterback. If you're comparing the rosters between the Dolphins and the Chargers, who do you think has a better roster outside of the quarterback position? Mm, that's a good question. I mean, the Chargers have gotten so loaded. I think they're comparable, but I look at that Dolphins defense. Secondary. And, yeah, yeah, and and adding, man, adding Tyreek Hill, again, you hit it right on the head. The question is, can Tua get the ball downfield to him? And I certainly, he's not going to be John Elway, man, but I think he's going to surprise some people with some throws and I think you're going to see some issues with that still you know little bubble screens but I think you're going to have defenders starting to press and every once in a while he's going to get one off and it's going to be whoa wait a minute wait a minute he's got to make that one pass a game right Right. like you talk about it they're going to creep up if he can get that one pass over the top it's going to open up everything in the middle the short game and that's when their offense is going to be clicking because they got running backs they got all types of skill guys on that Dolphins team I mean that roster is dynamite if Tua can step in and become you know, an above average quarterback. Diamond average is above average. Right, because everyone talks about the Tyree Kill acquisition, but this is a team that also um, went and picked up Cedric Wilson, who was pretty prominent receiver on the Cowboys. Raheem Mostert, uh, Chase Edmonds. They still have Mike Gusecki. They did lose Devontae Parker, but all sorts of weapons on the Dolphins. My last point, Peter, you said the Jets are a cakewalk. I, I don't think the Jets are that bad this year. Uh, they had a really good draft. Sauce well, Gardner. You're young. What is Zach, what, what is Zach <laughs> Wilson's out? And they have to go Joe Flacco at quarterback? Yeah, that that would be a, or worse, that would be a Zach Wilson site. isn't now. That would be <laughs> a welcome was, site. What's worse, Zach Wilson or Joe Flacco as your quarterback? I like Zach Wilson. You guys are out on Zach Wilson already? I'm, I mean, I'm Garrett, out on the Jets. They're the Jets. Garrett Wilson and Sauce Gardner. Like, they had a they had a pretty nice draft this year. They, they did. But, look, you know. Sometimes, and I shouldn't say this as a sports radio host, but sometimes sports is easier than we make it. The Kings are bad. The Jets are bad. The Lions are bad. The you know you pick the Pirates are bad in baseball, and it always has been, and it always shall be. The Jets, 
they're bad. They, again, they could add everyone. They're a bad franchise. It's just like the Browns, right? That's why yeah. it was so crazy when Baker led them to the playoffs, and then they just want to get rid of it real quickly. Yeah. Like, and I'm not even a Baker guy, but he got the Browns to the playoffs. The last time they did that was what with uh, Josh McCown or yeah, Derek it's a Anderson. miracle. Like, it is a miracle, but. You know, talking about Zach Wilson, I do like him. You know, I like his. Yeah. I like that he goes after milfs. I think that's pretty funny. Uh, you know, so I am a fan, and I hope he succeeds. So then, more of those stories can come out with Zach. Wilson. What, was there cool. a point in time where we were having this conversation, maybe twenty years ago, about the Warriors and the Patriots? Like, oh, you know, some teams just never win, and it was about like the Warriors and the Patriots. Well, the Patriots were doing it twenty years ago. Yeah. The, uh, tw- I mean, twenty years ago, they beat the Rams in the Super Bowl. Years the, the ago, first maybe. Time. Um, but I mean, obviously, we had that conversation about the Cubs until they finally did it in 2016. Red so, Sox. Yeah, sometimes it ju- it does change, but there are just a certain franchises where it's just never good. The Jets are a disaster. Always, they get in their own way. The Lions. Well, I think it'd be I like interesting this year. We talked about this. The Bengals, right? The yeah. Bengals have been a terrible franchise. Now they got the quarterback. They have all the skill positions. Historically, teams that make the Super Bowl and lose have gone downhill. Are they going to keep going up? See, and, and that's the real question. Again, Joe Burrow, you, you know, I think it was one of you call, just said he's just a winner earlier this week. That's the truth. I just wonder if, uh, you know, some of those lucky breaks that they got last year in that run maybe don't break their way this year. But, the, I mean, the Bengals, bad to mediocre. Every time they would finally, oh, oh, well, seven and nine, here we go. Boom, get rid of everybody. Don't pay anyone a cent. I've heard stories that maybe I, I I don't know if they're true, so I shouldn't necessarily talk too much about them on the air. But that that owner uh, that that owner did not want to win. We want to finish 500, and that's that. Just make a tidy little profit, be a mediocre team, get just enough hope to sell season tickets, and then we're good. I don't know if that's true. I've heard it from uh, some people in this biz that were also Bengals fans. And isn't that just the worst? I couldn't even imagine. If I owned a team, it's like, how would you want to be mediocre? Like, you've you've gotten so much money in your life by not being mediocre. Right. Doesn't it make sense to be awesome and elite well, to make more money? Well, I mean, are we going to assume that every owner was just awesome like they just like they just <laughs> no, you know like maybe point. they're like uh they got kind of lucky they walked into something but uh, i digress no i uh I, I still can't believe the Bengals have the 12th highest odds in the the nfl that's this right year you're, you're high on them Bowl. this year that's right I, I just like people just forget they exist who like, are you higher on the they dolphins, got better dolphins or the Bengals? who are you higher on? Ooh, that's a great question the Bengals. The Bengals were huh. the Bengals were 50 yards away from winning the Super Bowl last year. Yeah. And then Aaron Donald happened, but uh, they got better. Like they they fixed the old line. They kept all the guys that they had. Jamar, another year of Jamar Chase and T Higgins. I know Joe Burrow is he's a little bit injury. He's a winner. He's a little bit injury prone. Um, you know, he got hurt his rookie year. He's got the appendicitis now. Worries me a little bit, but I I mean, come on, the 12th highest odds. Yeah, I just I I watched you know their run through the playoffs and a lot had to break right. And I mean, of course, Aaron Donald happened. He's Aaron, he's Aaron yeah. Donald. That that game, look, the Buccaneers game the week or uh, two weeks before that the Rams played that worried me as they were making that weird push. I was never really worried while the Bengals were driving it down the field. I was like, we got this. The Rams won the Super Bowl. It's over. But in the lead up to that, even the Bengals things and they they were a good team. They deserved to be there because hey, they played the games. They won the games. They marched on, but. Things just sort of worked out, and you have to give them credit because, look, things just working out means you made a play when you had to make a play, but also, like, the the Titans. The Raiders were 10 yards away from beating yeah, in the yeah. first round. 
Yeah, and so ultimately, I mean, look, they got there. They earned it. But 12th highest seems about right to me because, again, it's just a good team that maybe, oh, not a lot of injury issues last year. Maybe someone is just, you know, dealing with something. They're dealing with a knee for that first-round game. All these things sort of even out over a long enough time span. Well, we've been talking about divisions, right? Whether you think the Jets are good or not, we know they're probably going to be below 500. Say, uh, you know, the Patriots, what are they, 500, 500 team? team exactly, maybe. where you look at the uh, AFC North. Uh, you got Pittsburgh, who's going to be probably the like worst Pittsburgh team, and they are Mike Tomlin, who has never coached a team right. below 500. You got Cleveland, who has a really good roster. If if Deshaun comes back, we don't know, but they're still a solid the Ravens, team. And, and Baltimore with Lamar Jackson, former MVP, like that division's tough. Yeah. So I think I think you're right, Peter. I think 12 is about right with Cincinnati. I get it. Just like I'm looking at it now, the Cowboys are above See, them. That's nonsense. That's joke. Eagles have the same odds. Also, Broncos. I mean, if we're talking about divisions, why do the Broncos have higher odds than the Bengals? <laughs> I think a bunch of people just went nutty when that trade went down and just threw down a hundred bucks immediately, drove those odds way up. The Niners, the Chargers, the Rams, the Packers. I, I, I get the rest of these. There's a lot of good teams in the NFL this year. I think there's ten teams going into the season that can win the Super Bowl. See, and and I, and I think I think the Rams have too good of odds. I don't expect them to repeat. I, I truly don't. Who's the favorite in the NFC? Bucks with grandpa at quarterback? <laughs> I mean, possibly. Possibly grandpa. I mean, maybe Arizona could finally figure something out, but I don't think. I think they're going to have challenges missing. Uh, um, who am I blanking? DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah, DeAndre Hopkins for the six games. Probably not the Packers. I don't think I don't so. See it. I, I saw Rodgers is already frustrated with his receivers. They've I been saw dropping that. Ball. <laughs> it's like, oh, what else? What else is new? Uh, Sky's blue. It's it's time for these games to get started. It's going to be uh, what the NFL owns everything over every other sport is parity, man. Again, yeah. we're 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 talking about 12, 15 different teams and they're all pretty close to each other. You could make a case for about like you said 15 teams to compete for a Super Bowl, which is insane because last year nobody thought the Bengals were any good and they got to the Super Bowl. Without a doubt. All right, we'll go away, wrap things uh, up for hour number two. On the other side, keep it going. Let's talk a little more football. I'm enjoying this. Peter Sampson in for Cazano. It's the BFD. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano. Peter Sampson is up next with The Pulse from 6 to 7 on 750 The Game. Welcome back to the program. Peter Sampson in for JC. It's the Bald Face Truth. Rolling with you until 6 o'clock. We're talking NFL. I said I'm not. Look, I'm a Rams fan. I'm not huge on the Rams. I'm concerned about Matthew Stafford's elbow. But apparently uh, he went through a full workload a couple days ago. And he said that it feels good. And he's actually on track with uh, what he's supposed to be doing at this time. And we all know he dealt with the injury last season. He had to receive an injection during the offseason. He didn't throw at all during spring workouts. And he came into training camp on a throwing schedule that Sean McVay said was just to make sure that they're managing it appropriately as they lead up to week one. And, uh, you know, when the word came out that he was dealing with soreness, Sean McVay saying, yeah, that's kind of a weird thing that you don't see really in the NFL. It's more like what pitchers deal with. Uh, that gave me uh, a reason to pause and go, hmm, that's not necessarily good. So Stafford says he's feeling okay. He's still dealing with soreness. He doesn't want to put a timetable on when it may go away. He's just going to go out there and do the work and kind of trust the uh, the rehabilitation process on it. So that's good news if you're a Rams fan. He did say functionally he can do everything that he needs to do. 
And that's a very good sign because, look, we all question whether, you know, Matthew Stafford, is he a, is he a winner? Is he an empty stats on a, on a bad team kind of guy? And, look, the Rams aren't getting that Super Bowl without Matthew Stafford last year. So it's concerning, especially you don't know if Cooper Cup's going to have the same amazing season yet. I mean, he's still a great receiver. You don't know if he's going to be a triple crown guy again. You still wonder about, uh, you know, who you have in the backfield. If Matthew Stafford's uh, feeling okay, that's a great sign for them. Yeah, I uh, I think the the Rams obviously they picked up Allen Robinson. I thought that was a nice signing. They they kind of lose Odell Beckham, but they bring in Allen Robinson, and I think they're they're just running it back for the most part. Do I expect Cooper Cup to be as good as he was last year? Maybe maybe a small step back, but he was absolutely heroic last year for them. And then obviously you lose Von Miller um, as well. So yeah, maybe they take a small step back this year. But again, Peter, I just don't really know who else. Uh, who else is in the NFC that's going to take them down? I really, you know, maybe it's the Niners. Maybe it's the uh, the Cardinals in that division. But I don't think their division's that great anymore, as great as it used to be. And I don't think, I think the NFC is pretty wide open. I think it was all set up for them last year. Super Bowl was in L.A. and they had all of those guys. And maybe the team's not as good this year. But again... I expect them to be right in the mix. Yeah, yeah, remains to be seen how it's going to be. I'm not picking them to play in the Super Bowl again this year. It wouldn't shock me. Just again, it's tough to do it two years in a row with so much parity, but hopefully Matthew Stafford can keep his elbow in good shape. All right, hour number two in the books. We'll come back and wrap up our final hour here on the Bald Face Truth. Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights. In for John Canzano, here's Peter Sampson with the bald faced truth. Welcome in, hour number three of the bald faced truth. I'm in for John Canzano today. Peter Sampson rolling with you this week while he takes some vacation ahead of the start of college football, NFL. You know, he's going to be all over the Pac 12 all season long. So he's just getting a little R&R. Good for him. I always enjoy keeping the seat warm. In the meantime, NBA schedule came out today. We talked about it off the top of the show. I want to revisit this a little bit, the Trailblazer schedule. If you didn't have a chance to listen right at 3, if you were stuck in the office on the job site, you're just getting off work right now, and you're hearing that the Blazer schedule is out, we do have it. Of course, you can find it at 750thegame.com. And uh, it's a tough start for the Portland Trailblazers, man. It's uh, We've discussed over the co- the last few days, weeks even, it's going to be important for this team to get off to a hot, hot start or at least be able to integrate their new pieces, figure out exactly how they want to play, build that chemistry, see how Dame's feeling, work Jeremy Grant into the rotation, figure out, well, how much is GP2 going to play? What's the rotation there? Is Shaden Sharp or Keon Johnson going to be that backup guard? Is Jeremy Grant going to switch over to the three at all? Is he exclusively a four? Is it Nasir Little or is it Josh Hart at the starting three? I think it's Nasir, but who knows? You need time to figure those things out. And what you hope, if you're a Blazer fan, is that you're starting it off against maybe some cupcakes. You want a little bit of an easy schedule there so that you have time to work through your issues, pick up maybe a couple W's while you do it, and get rolling through the rest of the season. Well, the schedule comes out today, and no, 
it's not an easy start for the Portland Trailblazers. So they do open at Sacramento. Not necessarily an easy place to play historically for the Blazers. It feels like they always lose down there. But we're not talking about an elite team. We are talking about a team that's very motivated to make the playoffs, very motivated to at least get into that plan. The fans are fed up. I mean, hell, the players are fed up. Everybody's fed up in Sacramento, and I get it. I would be, too. So that's how you open, October 19th, on the road, taking on the Kings. And then you say, well, does it get easier? No, not even remotely. Your four games after that, your home opener against the Phoenix Suns, then you're at the Lakers, and then you're at home against Denver and Miami. You get a little bit of a reprieve. Potentially, you're taking on the Houston Rockets. Look, Houston's going to be better. They're still young. They're still rebuilding. They're going to be a team. The Rockets are that team that is going to end up with about 30 wins, but they're going to have one or two inexplicable wins over a top team. Just some random night, their young guys are going to go nuts, and they're going to have a win over the Warriors or something like that, but they're still a bad team. They can surprise anyone any night. Then on ESPN, you're hosting the Grizzlies. Then you have two straight games. You're kicking off a six-game roadie with back-to-back games at the Phoenix Suns. Then at the Miami Heat, you're at the Charlotte Hornets. Okay. And then you wrap it up at the New Orleans Pelicans. Zion is back. CJ for a whole year. They still have Brandon Ingram, Herb Jones, Jonas Valanciunas. And then you're at Luka Doncic and the Dallas Mavericks. Fellas. Not an easy start to the schedule for the Portland Trailblazers. And, of course, you know, being in the Northwest, they always travel now that there's no Seattle Supersonics. They always travel the most miles. Thank goodness they've gotten rid of the the four-game and five-night issue uh, for the most part, if not exclusively, because I know that's something that they always tend to deal with. I mean, it's not an easy start for this team. No, I mean it's really not. And I honestly, Peter, I think that they could be about five and ten through fifteen games, and that will not be a good start to this season because there's a lot of veterans. The Blazers are obviously going for the playoffs. They're going all in right now with Damian Lillard, but there's a lot of question marks. Not only is the schedule tough, but Chauncey Billups can he actually coach? We've seen him coaching fake games, as I would call them last season. When they're tanking, they're not trying to win. I can't. I can't take really anything seriously that Chauncey did a season ago. I think he could be a really good coach. But I still have a lot of questions. So there's going to be some new guys on the team, new chemistry, new, basically a brand new coach to coach this team and to go along with a really tough schedule. It's going to be tough, man. I think if they can stay around 500 through 15, 20 games, I think if you're a Blazers fan, you got to be excited about that. But I, I don't see it. I see it's going to be a tough start, and the Blazers are going to be uh, crawling up from behind the whole season trying to make up for this slow start. Yeah, and I think if you are 5-10, and 10, maybe 6-9, and nine, I mean, it's definitely not time to hit the panic meter, the panic button. It's just kind of what it might be. But at what point... Do you maybe hit that panic button if you're a Blazers fan? If coming after that, San Antonio, Brooklyn, Utah, then you're on the road for four more. Milwaukee, Cleveland, those aren't going to be easy. New York, you're at the Knicks, then you're at Brooklyn. At what point in this schedule, if the Blazers are still hovering below 500, do you start to maybe worry? For me, it's for me, it's the middle to the end of January. If you're still below 500, I think it's what is going to be a question mark because, as you said, the December schedule – it cools down a little, a little bit for the right. Blazers. They, I think they can get some wins in that range. Same with January. There's some winnable games in January. You play Orlando. You play Detroit. Uh, you play Cleveland at home. I think that's a winnable game. You play Utah later that month. So I think if it's by the end of January, 
and the Blazers are still struggling with a lot of things defensively, and they're right around 500 or below 500. If they're below 500 at that point in the end of January, I think that's really when you start hitting the panic button. Uh, but I'm willing to give the Blazers at least a month, at least two months to really gel together as a new team because it's going to be a brand-new philosophy with Chauncey Billups. I mean, Terry Stotts was a lot of drop coverage, not very aggressive offensively right. or defensively. Defensively with Chauncey, they want to be aggressive and get out in passing lanes, force and steal. So it's going to take some time to get used to all the new things Chauncey wants to do. So I'm willing to give him a few months. But if it's the end of January and the Blazers are below 500, I'm hitting the panic button real fast. I'll probably lose hope when they lose to Sacramento on October 19th. <laughs> they go to Spoken Sacramento like a true Blazers fan. <laughs> That's typically what I do because the past couple of seasons, I remember the Blazers two years ago, it started with a blowout loss at home against Utah, and I – I was pretty. I was pretty. Uh, dis- I was in despair after that one. And then last year, uh, of course, Harrison Barnes at seven threes. The Blazers season started that way. But uh, I-, I think the saying, you know, it's typically well known that the NBA season unofficially starts Christmas time, right? Like right. typically, that's when teams are kind of in a mode. the The, the NBA season unofficially starts uh, around Christmas, so. Again, you got to give this team a couple of months. I would hope that they're not 10 and 20 or, you know, 15 and 30 in that range. I would hope they're hovering around 500, maybe a little above 500, but no less than significantly below 500. At that point, I think you you do lose hope. But again, I'm going to reiterate my point that I made earlier. I think that because the season doesn't really start until Christmas time, I think a lot of these teams that know their contenders, that think highly of themselves, teams that made playoff runs last season, they might be hanging out, just relaxing around that October-November range. I don't think Portland's one of those teams. I think Portland's going to be a team that's going to be giving more effort than a Los Angeles Lakers, than a Golden State Warriors, maybe even a Phoenix Suns, although the Phoenix Suns might have something to prove. Um, Miami, they play twice early in the year. I could see that team being older in age, coming off a big playoff run, kind of relaxing in October and November. But the Blazers are coming off a tanking year, a year in which all their guys got plenty of rest, a year in which Damian Lillard has received all sorts of backlash uh, for really no reason besides just not really being involved in basketball last year. I think they're going to come out hungry, and I, I do think that we can't just go off chalk. You know, Phoenix is better than Portland, sure, but in October – I think Portland has a chance of beating them a couple of times. Yeah, you know, looking at this early schedule, too, I think some uh, a couple of the test games, and you mentioned both the teams. I mean, Phoenix and Miami, both better than Portland, but I think those are gettable games. They're very good teams. They're not unbeatable, especially at home. And one thing I'm really going to be looking for that's not on the schedule is what does the energy look like at Moda Center? One of the great home court advantages in the last, I mean, well, since the Blazers existed between Memorial Coliseum and the the Rose Garden. And last year, I mean, between the pandemic and the tanking, I mean, the crowd just hasn't been there. And I get it. There was nothing to cheer for. I went to a couple games just as a fan, not to cover even cover the team. And it was dead. And it's sort of a one-off, but the team is going to need the crowd back in. They need the the seats full. They need it loud. They need that home court advantage because in, you know, if you're hosting a Phoenix or you're hosting a Miami and they have an off night, that's where you need to to have that energy. And especially a guy like Damian Lillard who really feeds off of that crowd energy, you know, if you're going to help him get that momentum, 
you as a fan being there are going to have to supply it. And again, I'm not telling someone to go to games or don't go to games or anything, but that's something I'm going to be watching right off the bat. Is it loud? Is it packed? Is the fan base active? Because that's been the one advantage that the Blazers have had for literally decades. And if they lose that and that home court advantage, that crowd, it just becomes an average NBA crowd. That's a big problem for this team. Yeah, maybe I'm underestimating them. I said 5-10, and 10, but last season, even with the Blazers, with the lack of effort that a lot of the guys gave, you remember Norman Powell, Robert Covington, not giving a lot of effort, they still started out. 10 and 1 at the Moda Center. Yeah. For how bad they were a season ago, the first 11 games, they were 10 and 1 at the Moda Center. So maybe I'm underestimating it a little bit. Maybe they come out, like Sean said, and they have a really good start to the season because they're motivated. I just have is yet to remain to be seen what happens with these other teams, but I think it's just a brutal schedule to start. And I wouldn't be surprised if they start slow, but the Blazers have proven me wrong before. And they are a really good home team. Like you said, Peter, the Moda Center does get rocking. And if they get a few wins at the start of the season, I think it's going to build momentum with the fans to get the Moda Center back where it was. Yeah, I have a sneaking suspicion that uh, not only is the team ready to get out and not be embarrassing like they were last year, but I think fans are ready to actually have something to cheer for. Because, again, it wasn't just the bad year last year. It was COVID before that where it was no fans. And then it was a couple fans. You had to be spaced out. And, again, I'm not saying that the policy was bad because, frankly, it was, a, it was a good policy for a while anyway. But, I mean, fans are ready to get there, get loud, and get back to that traditional, you know, Blazer watch experience. It's a communal thing, and it does, man. I've been in that building when it is shaking. It is rocking so hard. And I think a big chunk of the fan base is ready to participate in that again. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think there's no reason, really, for, for fans to not show out this year. You made a good point. The last couple of years, I mean, last year was just a, a complete joke uh, at the Moda Center, and then a couple of years ago, there was obviously COVID, so there there wasn't able to be fans. So I think, you know, people are excited to get to Blazer games. I know, you know, even me and my friends have talked about, oh, we got to get yeah. to some Blazer games this year. I feel like a lot of people in Portland are are pretty excited. I, the one reason I can think of of not going is maybe some people are upset with ownership. You know, maybe some people are are waiting for the Phil Knight thing to strike through. They don't like Jody Allen. That's really the only reason, but I think that's a small handful of, of fans that might say, you know, until Jody Allen sells the team, we won't be at Moda Center. I, I doubt that's the case, though. I, I, I think they're going to they're gonna have a really good fan base this year, and um, I, I think, you know, just to have Damian Lower back full strength, that's, that's enough reason to be back at the Moda Center and pay a decent price to be at some of those games. Yeah, I mean, you guys are right on with this. Like, there is a chance that the Blazers do really well because the Moda Center has been so good 10-1 and one a season ago with not many fans yeah. and not a good team. If they do that again this season, and like I said, if they're above 500 after 15, 20 games, I think the Blazers are in a good spot because that January, the schedule really lightens up a little bit. They can make a move to actually be in the playoffs and not the play-in game if they have a good start to this season, uh, especially at the Motor Center. Five of the first seven games at the Motor Center, you know, you get four of those games. You're you're starting out a good, good, uh, good way of the season. Yeah, so, th- I mean, the schedule, brutal right off the bat. It definitely eases up significantly in December. It closes. There are some tough games in there, but there there are some uh, that shouldn't be too much of a challenge. And then, of course, you, t- you take into account who's tanking, who's trying here. I look at the schedule, and I think about the over-under, 39.5 or 40.5, wherever you get it. I look at the schedule, I see 43 wins. Am I crazy? Uh, I mean, I don't think you're crazy. I mean, if I'm, if I'm a betting man, which I am, uh, I'm going to go with the under. I think the Blazers are the 10th best team in the Western Conference. Uh, there could be a team that has a surprise bad season or a team that has a surprise good season, but I think if I just take the best-case scenario for all these teams in the West, I think the Blazers are 10th right now 
uh, and that would mean that they're not going to get to 40 or 41 wins. So I would take the under, but I don't think you're crazy. I think 43, if the Blazers got to 43 wins, I would say that's a productive season and a good season because there are some new guys on this team that weren't on the team before. You know, Jeremy Grant's going to be a big part of this team. Gary Payton II is going to be a big part of this team. Hopefully Shaden Sharp as well. So it'll be a good building block to the next season because they're still young enough where they can improve going next year with Chauncey Bill. So I think if they got to 43, it'd be a good season. Yeah, Shaden Sharp is the guy I'm really curious to watch too. Again, we talked about it a few weeks ago. I don't know if this guy's going to play 20 minutes a game or if he's going to be in the G League. Neither would surprise me. <laughs> Sean, did you have any thoughts on that? 43, 30 and a half, 39 and a half, 40 and a half. Where are you landing? I'm looking at last year's standings. The eight seed in the West. Do you want to guess? Who it was and how many wins they had? Because I I predict them around that eight nine ten range. It was the Clippers. It was and the I Clippers. They had forty two. So the Clippers had forty two wins. Yeah. They are on the eight seed last year. The seven seed was Minnesota forty six. Uh, nine and ten were the Pelicans thirty six wins and the Spurs, uh, Spurs thirty four wins. So I I don't think it's fair to say oh they're going to be a ten seed or a nine seed. But, oh, they're going to hit over 40 because I think these teams beat each other up a little bit too much. The West is so competitive. They're going to play so many of these West teams. So in order to think they're going to go over 40 wins, I do think that you have to also predict with that they're going to be a 7 or 8 seed. Yeah, which I I think is reasonable. I could see them being an 8 seed because I I think, you know, we we put the teams like the Pelicans over them, teams like uh, the Grizzlies and the Timberwolves. Like, everything has to go perfect. Like, the Mavericks, Lakers. Like, we're putting all of those teams over the Blazers right now, but all it takes is an injury for any of those teams to fall, and we, we see plenty of injuries every year. And, and again, the Blazers in the Damian Lillard era always overachieve in the regular season. Last year, obviously, nonwithstanding. I mean, you talk about teams, the good teams, the teams with championship aspirations, they do kind of coast. They participate in load management. And I wouldn't be surprised to see Damian Lillard take He's not going to take Kawhi Leonard levels of load management. I wouldn't be surprised to see him skip three or four games. But the Blazers in his era are always a team that almost overdoes it in the regular season. They always hit a gear in the second half. He turns it on. He's rested. I think he's very motivated to show people that he is not declining. He's healthy. And that was the issue last year. And whether that's completely true, and I think it's partially true that that wasn't the issue last year. I think in his mind, he's ready to show people, no, 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 this is what's real. I was gone. I'm back. They're going to be going hard. They're going to go against a few teams that are going to be participating in load management. So I've got them sneaking into the playoffs. Do I have them winning a series? I don't. I absolutely do not. I think they're going to get their 43s where I'm landing. Yeah, and then Chauncey, the thing for me, Chauncey has said last year he wanted to play Dame less minutes. He didn't do it, and then he got hurt. Right. That is one of the more th- interesting things I'm in- interested in seeing is does Chauncey play him less minutes, give more of that responsibility to Ant, gives more of the responsibility to a guy like Jeremy Grant even to control the ball a little bit more. Does he give Dame some breaks? I think that'll be very interesting going next season. I, I, I think about, look, if this year's not going to end in a uh, title contention, could, could it end in maybe like can we get something fun out of next season, like something to really like remember the 2022 season by? Could Dame maybe add an MVP? Like, I, I think it's possible. You know, I think they have to, like, so the Nuggets were the sixth seed last year, yeah. and Jokic won the MVP. So the Blazers, there has to be, I think, you know, Russell Westbrook won it on a eighth seed, but he averaged a triple-double. Right. He'd have to be incredible. And the team, for the team to project around the seven or eight seed, um, if they end up in that projection, he'd have to be really, really good, like over 30 points per game. 
uh, or if there are also teams that are going to have to be really good. They're going to have to be like a five or six. They're going to be like 50 wins and be the four or five. Not, I'm going to say that that's not true because so many people don't watch this team and just go, oh, the Blazers are bad. And then all of a sudden, oh, the Blazers are mediocre and Dame's averaging 30 points. That's an MVP that's, season for me. I mean, that was me. Jokic last year, right? Right. And those of us who actually watch the team, it's like, well, yeah, this they were bad last year, but you. look who they were playing. I think you have a lot of national guys who don't really watch these games. And, and I'm certainly not calling for an MVP out of day, but I think we're going to get that sort of season. Do I expect him to win it? No. Do I expect him in contention? Absolutely, I do. I think he's going to go gangbusters next year. I think it would be big for his legacy, and I think there's a lot of guys in the NBA right now that are better than Damian Lillard, better basketball players that don't really care about it anymore. Guys like Steph Curry, guys like LeBron James, yeah, uh, maybe even Giannis. Jokic is the back-to-back MVP. Like those are guys that are better basketball players than Damian Lillard. That might not be chasing it next year. They might have bigger aspirations, like uh, winning a the the team title. So I, I think it would be big for his legacy, and I think it's you know if that doesn't happen, maybe Anthony Simons goes for a most improved oh, player. There you go. I mean, <laughs> I thought he should have got it last year. He played the same amount of games as John well, Moran. Uh, they sit him down. He played the same amount of games as John Morant, though. That's true. But, but you know who I think is going to be chasing the MVP this year? Joel Embiid. I, I think he, he feels that he he was robbed. He came right out and said I, he wants Luka, it. Luka, yeah. I think, could use one. Yeah, I think Luka's got to be your favorite, doesn't he? He's always Yeah, he's been the favorite the past couple of years. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I love Luka Doncic. I think he's second or third best player in the league. So, yeah, I think he's the favorite. Uh, I think you're right with Joel Embiid. He feels like he should have got it last year. Uh, and that happens a lot of time in the NBA. It's a lot of narrative stuff with the media. They vote on these things. You know, maybe they felt like they were wrong last year when Jokic gets knocked out of the playoffs in right. five games. They're going to give it to MB this year. I think uh, a sleeper might be Kawhi Leonard, too. He hasn't played in a while. The Clippers, if they can stay healthy, they're going to be a really good team, good defense. They're going to win some games. I think Kawhi, assuming that that knee is okay, I think he might lead the charge there. I I love the Clippers. I love their roster, guys. I, I really have them penciled in. Maybe not at the very top of the West, obviously, Golden State Phoenix. I think L.A. is going to be right there with that defense. Yeah, I would take it one step further. I almost, I I think the other L.A. team, I think LeBron. I think if the Lakers have really? a good season, LeBron's going to have another nice year, averaging yeah, 30 a game. Yeah. I could see him wanting that. He wants to be like the yeah. oldest player here. Can I give you a deep sleeper? Yeah, please. please. Trey Young. Okay. I, I, I think, think the that's Hawks reasonable. Are a four I think seed. the Hawks are good, yeah. I think the Hawks are a four seed. He's got DeJounte Murray to help him. He doesn't really have to worry about playing defense. <laughs> Did he ever to... worry about playing defense? <laughs> he doesn't defense. even have to try anymore. He's got DeJounte Murray next to him. I could see Trey Young going gangbusters. I could see that, especially, I mean, the Hawks, they finished above 500, but they fell back. You know, they were the yeah. eight seed last year. I expect them to have a bounce back year. I think I think he's going to be motivated. I could see that. Trey Young's fun. That's one guy. You know, I like to talk on air about all the guys I was right about. Trey Young, I did not think was going to be a baller in the NBA. I could not believe when they made that deal and Luka went ahead. I was like, you're going to regret that forever. Obviously, that move worked out for both Dallas and Atlanta. Yeah, I mean, I think they're still insane for drafting him over Luka. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Jay Young has been a really good player. I thought he'd be pretty good in the NBA. I didn't think he'd be this good. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Luka was obviously, I thought, the first overall pick. And the, Sun, the Suns picked Aiton. And then, uh, yeah. So that was insane. Yeah, I like that. That's a that's a good choice, Trey Young. Is there anyone else we're missing? MVP in the NBA this year, 503-417-7575. Of course, on Twitter, at Peter Sampson, and I am in for John Canzano. This is the BFT on the BFT Radio Network. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back in. 
Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. It's the Bald Face Truth. I'm with you until 6 o'clock today. Hope you're having a great Wednesday wherever you may be. Talking NBA MVP candidates. Luka's got to be the favorite. Giannis is always going to be up there. Of course, Jokic has won it back-to-back years. Joel Embiid is going to want it. Kawhi Leonard possibly a sleeper. Damian Lillard possibly a sleeper. Sean McPherson mentioned Trey Young. I think that's a good one. Who do you like for MVP? 503-417-7575. Let's go to Eugene. Jordan is in Eugene listening on Fox Sports. Eugene, who's your sleeper, Jordan? Hey, fellas. uh, Let me throw Anthony Davis into the mix, right? If Westbrook's out of town, I think they're talking about Turner and Heald going to L.A. If that's a one or two seed again, I think Anthony Davis, the offense is going to run through him. He's slimming down. And additionally, I'd like to pose one more question. It's kind of an ongoing debate between me and a friend. Legacy watch, Anthony Davis versus Damian Lillard. Who do you guys have at this moment in time? Yeah, uh, I got to say Damian Lillard. I mean, AD has a championship, but uh, Anthony Davis has uh, he's missed too much time. I think he's got a 4-0. He's also got a 4-0 sweep on Lillard. Yeah, he, he Damian Lillard plays games. Anthony Anthony Street Clothes Davis, number one overall pick. I think he's been a little underwhelming. He has been. I mean, he's a Hall of Famer. Don't get me wrong. He's a great player. I got to say Damian Lillard, man. Now, you're a Lakers guy, right? Yeah. It's, 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 how obvious was that? <laughs> get that? Ten seconds into my call. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I appreciate the phone call. If, uh, if AD can stay healthy, I mean, I absolutely think he, he could be an MVP candidate. I think LeBron's going to be the guy on that team. At some point, AD has to grab the mantle from LeBron with the Lakers. Obviously, LeBron, in theory, is going to age out. I don't know. I think this dude might be able to, like Julio Franco in baseball, he can play till he's like 49. Uh, AD, I mean, it's one of those things where if you put them up objectively, you just look at stats and you go, well, man, AD's had all these stats. But by nature of being the number one overall pick who is supposed to be the next, you know, five-time defensive player of the year, he's going to average 28 a game. He's going to be a star. I think, and this maybe isn't fair, but I think there's a perception that AD has been, I don't think disappointing is the right word, but I think he's left people wanting a lot more. Like I remember the uh, the draft lottery in 2012. I was watching it at a bar with a, a, a dude from New Orleans, a friend of mine that I, that I went to college with. He cried when they won the the Pelicans won the number one overall pick because AD was the next once in a generation this and that. You know what? I, and Blazer fans, we know how we feel about that when it doesn't work out. It's happened multiple times to Trailblazers fans, but I think in that regard, 80s left fans just wanting a little more. I, I, I wouldn't say that underwhelming is the right word. It's I would not. say inconsistent is the right word because one year, like what he did in 2020 in the bubble to help that team win the championship was what we expected out of Anthony yes. Davis. And you're right. He was incredible at Kentucky uh, back in, I think, 2012, mm-hmm. and that team was – uh, it's the last time Kentucky's won a title, and it was because of him. I, you know, what he did with the Lakers back in 2020, what he did with the Pelicans the year that they, they swept the Blazers, made the second round. It, it's been uh, it's been kind of an up-and-down career because for every one of those good moments, he's also gotten injured and, you know, left a team that was supposed to be better uh, kind of, you know, looking for more and uh, kind of disappointing. So, I Look, I think Davis versus Lillard right now is uh, is super close. I think the argument that I would make in Lillard's favor is that I think Lillard could also 
very well have a championship if he left the small market Portland like Anthony Davis did New Orleans and went to an LA or a Miami or a place that was in better contention uh, to go play with another super another superstar and to be a number two I think that's what Davis did Lillard didn't do that and so I think it's kind of what you prefer do you prefer the championships or do you prefer kind of sticking it out with another team yeah, I mean, w- without a doubt, that's that's exactly how I feel about it. And I mean, it's it's close. I just think the expectations. Damian Lillard surpassed his expectations. AD been a great player, but he's not what a lot of people were expecting. Not to mention the health concerns. I mean, there's a re- his nickname is Street Clothes for goodness sake. That's not a good thing for your legacy. I don't know. Am I crazy? 503-417-7575. By the way, did, did he say he thinks Miles Turner's getting traded to the Lakers? <laughs> who who are you who are you trading for Miles Turner's? I got bad news for you, Jordan and Eugene. That's not happening. Who it was Turner and someone else. Who did he name it there? He said Buddy Healed. I think the argument would be uh future first round picks. Because yeah? the Lakers, the way they're built right now, are not gonna be good late into this uh this decade. Yes. I think with LeBron James' age and Anthony Davis eventually, I mean, let's be real, Anthony Davis is still relatively young, but he'll probably be, what, young to AD, late? AD was already, he already looked to be on the decline last year. It, it, did you guys see, see that season. as well? Even when he played, he looked like he was declining a little bit. The thing bit. is, he gained weight. And so, like, he, it was a mistake on his part because he gained weight, and Anthony Davis is best as, you know, slimmer and, right. like, kind of lean and someone that can uh, be super quick and, uh, he, he gained a lot of weight and tried muscling people down, and I think that was bad for his injuries last season. So um, I, I, I know Jordan Eugene mentioned that he's he's lost some weight this year and he's going to kind of go down to that uh, that slimmer look for Anthony Davis this year. I could see an MVP. I mean, it, it, the Lakers, for, for them, it's all about what they can get out of Russell Westbrook. They're not doing anything with Westbrook, not only because of who he is on the court, but because he's $47 million on the books. Right. So uh, their team has a chance of being a lot better. Maybe they're a top four seed if they can get rid of Westbrook, but I don't see it with him. I, I don't know that any, I mean, maybe close to the trade trade deadline, someone will take it. Is there is there a reasonable uh, way that the Lakers could even figure out how to use him? Or is he just so set in his ways, he's going to jack up those threes? Is there any way they could turn him into a... I mean, you look at the raw stats and they were productive, I guess, but we all saw how inefficient he was. Yeah, no, I don't think there's any way. I think Russ plays the way Russ plays. And and it's understandable. You know, He's gotten to where he has because of the way he plays. But his game was always going to go downhill because it's all about explosiveness and athleticism, at some point, that's really going to go downhill, and that jump shot just never improved and never got better. So I think Lakers are stuck with Russ, but I think that uh, you know if they give Russ the ball a little bit more and get it out of LeBron's hands and let Russ make better plays, it may be actually better for them because Russ, as if you give him the ball and you give him more plays, he's going to just go with that. He's not going to call for the ball. He's not going to go out of his way to get the ball. So I think you've got to keep him involved with the offense because he's always going to play the same way. As soon as he gets the basketball, he's going to attack. He's going to take a terrible shot. He's going to make a turnover. But if you give him the ball in the right spots at the right times, he's not going to want to you know steal the ball from his own teammate, basically, and do it that way. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. And I agree. They're, they're stuck with him. I mean, again, as you get closer to that expiring, someone might look to blow it up and take him on. But at least, I mean, he's not going anywhere, at least in the uh, incredible short term. All right, we'll go away. Come back. More sports talk on the other side. I'm Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. This is the Bald Face Truth on the BFT Radio Network. You've got the home of the truth. 
Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. So just one day after ripping his receivers, Aaron Rodgers is trying to make things right. Packers have a young receiving core. Obviously, Devonta Adams is gone. And uh, yesterday, he sounded off a little bit. They dropped some balls, missed some miss, uh, some uh, catches there. I don't know if they, they maybe missed a couple reads as well, too. Maybe wrong ran a wrong route. But uh, he was fairly vocal about it. And man, that can't feel good. You're like trying to make a roster, trying to do your best. And then, and you know, one of the legends, one of the all-time great quarterbacks just goes out and expresses his frustration with you. So this morning they were told the group of receivers to report to the quarterback room at 845 this morning. And they arrived to find uh, Rogers and the other quarterbacks there working on the the passing game. And uh, Rogers spoke extensively to them. And uh, I guess he was essentially giving advice and just saying that you're held to a high standard. He brings up all the legends that have been through Green Bay, which is correct. So it, it seems like it was sort of an apology without an apology while still maintaining standards. I like that he did that because, look, part of being a leader is you need to call out what needs called out, but you also need to praise and keep people motivated. That being said, was he wrong for this kind of getting out and happening publicly? Because remember, criticize in private, praise in public. Was this handled well by Aaron Rodgers? I I don't know. I I really don't think it was right for him to to do it in public, I think. You're right. I think there's a lot of this going on in the league right now, but it's not a big story. But I think, you know, with Aaron Rodgers, he's not always the most, uh, what's the right word for him? It, it, he's cool. Not, what? Cool. He's yeah. not the most cool. He's, he's someone that oftentimes will, uh, he's not, he, he's unhinged. You know, he, he will go to the media and say exactly what is on his mind. Um, and he's, that's been a detriment of, uh, of him in the past. So, on this particular day, he was probably frustrated. He was someone that was fed up, and when he's fed up, he'll he'll say what's on his mind. Um, he's an emotional guy. I wonder if he needs to take another ayahuasca trip. Maybe it's worn off. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. I, this isn't something that you should do in public, especially with the younger guys. And if, I mean, they have their vets, too. But, you know, there were the mistakes in practice, and apparently in this meeting, he even reiterated that the three interceptions that Love threw uh, in the preseason opener against the 49ers were largely the result of mistakes by the receivers. You have the drop ball in the tight end, uh, by tight end Tyler Davis. You have a weak route and a catch by Dobbs. And then uh, uh, Amari Rogers ran a wrong route as well. Rogers, uh, Amari Rogers, obviously not Aaron, in his second year as well. So, yeah, I don't know. You need to be on the same page if you're going to win. You have to be. And if you're the quarterback, especially a veteran quarterback, a Hall of Famer, you have to be the leader. And you need to not be afraid to criticize. It just needs to be done the right way. Because it's really easy to lose people. And, and that's not just the case in sports. That's the case in business. You know, if you're a manager, a supervisor, you own your own company, you have employees, anything like that, whether it's fair or not, whether it's right or not, 
if you're not doing this delicately, you can lose people. And maybe they don't quit, but all of a sudden you're not getting max effort anymore. You're not getting the extra mile. If a mistake gets made, oh, well, that's the way it is. So I definitely think it could have been done a little more privately. Uh, what did the Packers expect, though? Like, you know, it feels like they were pretty laughably bad at picking up receivers over the past couple of years. They have yet to use one of their first-round picks. This year they used a first-round finally, finally on Christian Watson, the guy from North Dakota State. But there's been years where they've missed out on some some really good guys, guys that we predicted would be good and ended up being really good. Um, and chose not to go wide receiver. And then they just let Devontae Adams go. And so they're going into this year, and technically their number one wide receiver is Alan Lazard. And so, of course, Aaron Rodgers isn't going to be happy with his receivers. But at the same time, guess what? It was all sunshine and rainbows this offseason when Aaron Rodgers got his big extension. And because of that extension, they had to let Devontae Adams go. And so it feels like they kind of walked into this, both the front office and Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, and my dad is a big Packer fan, so I go to him for my Packer, Packer insights. And he was talking about Alan Lazard as a good blocker. And I don't think that's a, oh, no. I don't think it's a good sign as your number one receiver, right? Like that's what he says. He's like, yeah, the Packers like him because he blocks downfield. Like that's not what Aaron Rodgers wants. Aaron Rodgers wants a Devontae Adams, a guy that can stretch the field and make big plays. They go out and they get Sammy Watkins, but I mean, they really rely on these rookies to really step up in year one and be big contributors. Now the defense is great, but if I'm Aaron Rodgers and I'm the Packers, like I'm not expecting anything different. Like this is what Aaron Rodgers is going to do. He's going to call out his players because he expects excellence. But at the same time, if you're the Packers, you think Aaron Rodgers is a Hall of Fame quarterback, which he is. He's one of the best of all time. But he's got to elevate these receivers as well. He's got to put them in the right spots to make them better. That's what a real leader does. So I think it's a little bit of, you know, I think the blame kind of goes to everybody a little bit. The Packers a little bit, the receivers, Aaron Rodgers. I think they all are a little complicit in this thing, but they all got to help each other just to make each other better. What do we expect out of the Packers this year? Just more of the same, pretty good regular season, not enough to really make a deep run? I, I really... I'm looking at this receiver core, and I feel like it's going to yeah. hold them back immensely. I mean, at least last year they had Devontae Adams, and no one else had that pressure of being a number one wide receiver. This year it's you know it's Christian Watson, it's Sammy Watkins, it's Alan Randall Lazard, Cobb's corpse. Randall Cobb's. <laughs> you know, talk about uh, another grandfather. Um, no, I It's just I don't think it's – they have a really good defense. I'll say that. And their head coach is one of the most successful head coaches – in his first couple of seasons. I think, you know, maybe the best record through, I think, two seasons. Maybe it's three seasons. I forget the exact stat. It's just I feel like the receiving core, we're already seeing the Rodgers right. receiving core dynamic uh, really unfold, and I, I feel like that's going to hold them back. I'll, I, I, Vikings might win that division. Yeah, the division's not great, which I think helps, obviously. The Lions, you know, for how, you know, for, for being on hard knocks, people are going to love them. They love Dan Campbell, but, you know, it's a bad them. team. They're it's a bad awful. team. It's a bad they're team. Awful. They're not awful, but they're not good, right? The Packers are better than the Lions. They should get both wins against them. The Bears are a complete dumpster fire. They yep. should get two wins against them. I'm with you. I like I like the Vikings this year. I think Kirk Cousins, uh, Kevin O'Connell's there as their new coach. He's a you know offensive genius, supposedly. He's going to open up with Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, all those guys. I expect the Vikings to be good, but because of the division being so bad, it seems like the Packers are still going to make the playoffs and probably lose again with Aaron Rodgers, whether it's at home where you can't play in the cold or it's on the road this year. Uh, you know, I expect the same type of thing, just the playoffs and then probably lose the first game they play. Yeah, I have a feeling that this issue is going to pop up sometime on the sideline during the regular season too because, again, you can uh, make amends, get on the same page, and move forward, but I guarantee if one of these young guys – 
does the same route running mistake in week three or something like that, he's going to have that in the back of his mind. He's going to go to him and he's going to start John at him on the sideline right on national TV for everyone to see, which again is why you don't go public with these things. You keep it private. So even if it does happen mid game on TV, that's the first time, not the second time, the third time, the fifth time. I just I don't necessarily like how it was handled. I just have a feeling at some point it's going to bite him in the butt. And, I mean, you could say that about a lot of things that Aaron Rodgers has done, and I guess maybe it hasn't yet or it hasn't as much as it would with someone else. But I'm telling you, he's going to end up regretting this. That is if he has enough uh, self-awareness and insight to realize, yeah, I didn't really contribute uh, positively ultimately to this situation. So hopefully everyone can move on and uh, get on the same page there. And I get it. Young receivers, you're not, you don't want to let that guy down. You don't want to, you're doing your best. It can't feel good to have a guy like that going at you though. No. And I mean, you you know, these guys have been watching Aaron Rodgers play basically his whole entire career. And so you think, oh, it's going to be so cool to play with Aaron Rodgers until you drop a pass from him. He's just tearing you a new one. He's tearing you up and he's going to call you out in the media. But yeah, it's the same. Yeah. Same thing with LeBron. Like, it would suck, but at the same time, it's kind of a welcome to the NFL moment. You know what? You're not playing in college anymore. This is your job. you got right. to do your job very well, and Aaron Rodgers holds his receivers to a high standard. So I think it, I agree with you. It would suck, but at the same time, it could be kind of cool. Like, you know what? He shows his time of trust in me that he expects me to do good, right? So I yeah. have to do better. This is seriously one of the worst receiving cores in the entire NFL. So I'm so excited <laughs> to see how good Aaron Rodgers is and whether he can overcome that. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I mean... <laughs> You saw what happened when Matthew Stafford got receivers. So it's going to be interesting to see Aaron Rodgers with. And he has, I mean, obviously Adams has been the guy, but I mean, now we're talking, you got nobody. You don't even have that one real go to. I mean, but at least Lazard is a good blocker. What did you, your, when your dad told you that, what did you say in response? Like, that's not a good sign, Bob. Yes, that's exactly what I said. I said, well, that's not good to be a receiver known as a blocker. Like, what, <laughs> like, what is that? He's like, yeah, you know, that's just what they do in Green Bay. <laughs> They're doing something in there. All right, we'll go and come back, wrap-up shop on the other side. I'm Peter Sampson. This is the Bald Face Truth on the BFD Radio Network. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. There's one thing I know that is certain in this world, or I should say three things I know, death, taxes, and Papa John's putting out a bunch of garbage. So they're upset. Their sales are up. Apparently in the pandemic, pizza was a big, big thing, which makes sense. You're not going out. Go get a pie, man. Have it delivered. Growth is slowing. And if there's one thing we know in capitalist America, oh, we can't have that. Growth needs to accelerate. So... Sales at its North American restaurants opened uh, at least a year, grew only 1%. It's down from 5%. So they say, what is the cause of this? And they determine, oh, maybe people are just getting tired of pizza. 
and uh, they're uh, senior vice president of menu strategy and innovation at Papa John's, which sounds like an awesome and terrible job. It's a great job, but it has to be at Papa John's. Uh, he says there's a general thought there could be some pizza fatigue because it's all we've had the last couple years. So what are they going to do? Renovate their pies? Higher quality ingredients? Maybe rebranding? Nope. They're going to offer Papa Bowls. All topping, no crust. It's going to come in three varieties, garden veggie, chicken alfredo, and Italian meats trio. And they're rolling it out slowly. It's available to the company's loyalty members. By the way, if you're a Papa John's loyalty member, go ahead and rethink some things. I'll give you a second. All right. Good. Anyway, it's going to roll out to loyalty members. It's going to cost $7.99. So basically, it's a pizza with no crust. I get the idea. They're thinking it might be received as a healthier alternative to pizza, but people still want to indulge. I love pizza. I feel passionately about pizza. I live in Portland, Oregon, which is shockingly a great pizza city, considering it's not New York, Chicago, etc. I need the crust. There's a reason pizza's been around since the 1500s. I don't need it all piled in a bowl. I mean, chicken Alfredo, throw some pasta in there. All this stuff already exists. Italian meats trio, just throw in some lettuce. Call it a chef salad. Fellas, I'm going to avoid this like the plague. Yeah, I didn't know that pizza was fatigue. There's pizza fatigue. Where have I There's been? There's not. Exactly. Where have I been? I feel like this is news to me. I just ordered pizza for my wife because the kids were getting hungry. She was getting hungry. I ordered it for my phone for, so they can go pick it up. I, I've never been fatigued to pizza, and I don't know that I ever will be. And maybe that's a me problem, but I think it's a me uh, positive that I'm never going to be tired of pizza. So I'm against Papa John's on this one. I think they're crazy, and I you know, fully veto them for life because of this decision. I'm in on it. I'm in on it. You're in on it? I'm in on it. First of all, this looks kind of good. It looks kind of good, and uh, I, I think that, uh, I think that it, it's good to be different, right? Like, you know, where else can you get a pizza bowl if you want you avoid the crust and you want to just indulge in the toppings? And secondly... Anything like this, as sad as it is, we're talking about it right now. So yeah, for them to be so different uh, and to create news, we're talking about it. More people are going to go buy a Papa John. So I actually think this was kind of kind of smart. I just don't see that because, again, all of these things already exist. Garden veggie. Okay, so what, like a skillet? You can get that. Nice roasted vegetables mixed in with something. Chicken Alfredo, you have some pasta. Italian meats trio, if you're just doing that again, that can be a skillet. Or you can mix it in with some iceberg, maybe with some kale, and you call it a chef salad. All of these things already exist. And we're, t- we're taking something that is good and we're repurposing it well, I shouldn't say it's good. It's Papa John's, but it, pizza in general. We're taking something that is good, and we're trying to uh, offer someone the privilege to buy something that's like something good, but not as good. You're taking a pizza which is good, and you're making it worse. Exactly. That's that's not ideal in my world. You're just you're just ruining it. Already on Twitter, someone's in on Twitter. My first thought was, how does one become a loyalty member? You don't want to know what you have to do to become a Papa John's loyalty member. There's an oath, and you don't want to take it. I assure you. If there, so now there are four things I'm sure of in this world: death taxes, Papa John's having garbage, and that you don't want to take the loyalty member oath. I'm not going to buy this thing. I promise. 
It's not going to go well. Not that I should offer Papa John's free marketing advice, but there you go, Scott Rodriguez. I've given you free marketing advice. We're back tomorrow with another great show. I'll be in for Kanzano on the BFT and the BFT Radio Network. See ya.